What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. I feel like it's been a little while since uh, I've been here with you. I've missed you. I hope the feeling is mutual. Anyways, my guest today is Gene Epstein. Gene was the chief economist for the New York Stock Exchange. He was also the editor, economics editor at Barron's from 93 to 2017. And more recently, he is the director and moderator of the Soho debates. You might have seen these on YouTube. This is where he usually pits either himself or you know, two sides of a social issue or economic issue against each other, debate in a live audience, and of course, throw it up on YouTube. Two that are of significant or of uh, particular relevance to Bitcoiners would be the one between Peter Schiff and Eric Voorhees, and then the one between George Selgin and Safety and Amos. I presume many of you have seen those. If you haven't, they're, they're worth a, a watch. In any case, I recently saw in November a debate that Gene did with Richard Wolff, and the debate was socialism versus uh, free market capitalism. And Gene took that side, and Richard Wolff, who I was previously unaware of, apparently he's an eminent socialist scholar in the United States and a professor and author. He, of course, took the other side. I thought the debate was, I thought the debate was okay. I thought Richard's uh, arguments were pretty horrible. This was my introduction to Gene, and after having seen the debate, I thought he might make for an interesting conversation. So I invited him on, he graciously accepted, and this is our discussion. It's about two hours and 20 minutes long. If you want to cut it up, the first hour is all about socialism versus capitalism, more or less, and the debate that he had with uh, Richard Wolff. After the hour mark, we get into more Bitcoin-related and money-related issues. And of particular note, uh, we talked about store of value. Gene's position is that money is not, nor should be, nor should we want in our money it to serve as a store of value, but rather exclusively as a medium of exchange. And I pointed out to Gene that, um, that I felt that was a contradiction and then explained my case for something like Bitcoin as a store of value. And we went back and forth on that for a while with uh, a spirited conversation. And the last note I'll make is just in explaining to Gene how nodes operate um, at the latter part of the interview, we were discussing sort of financial incentives and I kind of said there was no direct financial incentives and kind of explained a little bit about how nodes work. But as soon as I finished, you know, the call, I realized that I'm kind of explaining it in too narrow of a framework. Obviously, nodes are financially incentivized or people are financially incentivized to run a node because it allows them to verify their transactions and thus minimize the risk of, of loss or fraudulent transactions, etc. So uh, that part was left out. I wish I'd put that in because I think Gene would have appreciated it. But nevertheless, I, I was focusing more on whether people would, could gain income from nodes. That was kind of the context of our conversation. Anyways, I know some Bitcoiners will be pulling their hair out at that point. So I wanted to make a note about it here. Uh, anyways, that's all. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, Gene, uh, I know it's a bit early in the morning, so thank you for uh, for joining me for a discussion today. I wake up at uh, you know five thirty every morning, so uh, you know it's not uh, early for me. Had a had a had a half day already. <laughs> um, so, Gene, I actually just you know to give you some context, I came across your work for the first time. Um, mm -hmm. I think last month you did a um, a debate with Richard Wolf. Yeah. And I saw that video on YouTube because, you know, in the in the Bitcoin space, 
of course, there's lots of talk about libertarianism and free market capitalism and, mm -hmm. and obviously a lot of critiques of socialism. Yeah. And I saw that uh, debate and um, I'm, you know, I was struck, mm -hmm. I was struck by the, the ego actually of, of, of Richard, you know, and yeah. I, I find yeah. that this is a very common thread among supporters of socialism. And I, and I, you know, of course they don't admit that. And I think it's, it's often concealed by, you know, a perceived sense of compassion or, or something like that. But I, I, mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of uh, ego in that. And so I guess we can just start off by, by mm -hmm. you maybe introducing yourself and then maybe giving your take on, on the, how that debate went. And then we can just take it wherever it goes from there. Sure. Well, um, as I, uh, this is my second big debate actually with a socialist, uh, a, uh, a year ago, October, I had a debate, uh, with, uh, Bhaskar Sankara, who uh, started Jacobin magazine. And, uh, I, with Bhaskar, it was a narrower issue having to do with freedom and socialism with Richard. It was uh, about prosperity, freedom, and even equality, all of those three issues. And uh, I, uh, I read Richard's book, uh, a, a Democracy at Work, A Cure for Capitalism, and I did a deep dive into it in my presentation. Uh, my own background, I guess that's most relevant, which I always emphasize when I debate socialists, is that uh, I came from that let us say, intellectual depravity. I, uh, it's not morally depraved necessarily to be a socialist uh, if you have the right values, but if you do have the right values, then ultimately you've got to evolve. Uh, I, as I said, uh, introducing myself uh, in the debate with Richard as well as with Bhaskar, uh, my own mother was a member of the Communist Party, card-carrying member of the, of the Communist Party. So I grew up with communism and evolved into a democratic socialist and then miraculously perhaps uh, evolved into a libertarian. Um, but uh, in doing a deep dive into Richard's book, I was able to isolate the fact that he wants workers' self-directed enterprises and uh, my point has been uh, for a long time that workers self-directed enterprises, employers, employees becoming their own employers already exists as Richard himself uh, at times acknowledges and uh, and and its potential uh, to uh, to flourish under capitalism is enormous if that's what workers want. That's what people want. And so that was the thrust of my argument that uh, we can have that kind of socialism right away. Uh, that's something that I've known for decades. It's, it's, it's a new point that rather staggered uh, Bhaskar and that Richard mainly chose to ignore. Uh, the uh, the the possibilities of uh, of worker controlled enterprises, worker owned enterprises, uh, are vast. Given the fact that uh, that the lower half of the population uh, accounts for one third of all consumer spending, the the bottom four fifths for nearly two thirds, uh, the uh, the enormous amount of money that uh, labor union pension funds hold that could invest in these enterprises. But the embarrassing thing for people like Richard and people like Bhaskar is that they 
that, that workers are unenthusiastic about uh, these ideas, uh, this way of uh, working, and uh, so they are going to resort to the iron fist of government. Now, speaking to your point about ego, indeed, uh, I think Bhaskar, uh, much younger than Richard, uh, put up a better argument. At least he did try to argue with me in his own way. But whereas Richard went for the high ground, I was surprised after I summarized his book and after I talked about how uh, the problems with the kind of socialism he wants are going to put freedom under siege and certainly prosperity under siege. Uh, equality is another matter, and um, we could go into that. Mm -hmm. But at least two out of three are going to be severely compromised under Richard's vision of socialism. So I thought that perhaps he was going to respond by claiming that I was quoting his book out of context or equivocating in some way about what he really meant to write in that book. But um, speaking about your point about ego, he basically backed away from his own book when he uh, got up to refute me and, uh, and, and, and continued with a kind of approach that you rightly say was, was kind of ego, was kind of narcissistic. Uh, he, in, in his summary, for example, he's saying that the reason why he's winning the debate is that he gets so many invitations to speak about socialism. I've, he said, I've gotten more invitations to speak about socialism in the past few years than in my entire career. Another reason why he felt he was winning the debate <clears throat> is that he said, and did you notice how Often Gene said he agreed with me about certain issues. Well, I got up and I, when I, when I did my sum, uh, summation, I said the reason Richard and I agree about certain so many issues is that we are both radicals, but we do want radical change. But Richard wants to march in the wrong direction to deal with the problems that Richard and I agree about. We need more capitalism uh, rather than less. And so it was, I, I won the debate according to Oxford style rules by more than 20 percentage points because Richard, somewhat to my dismay, turned out to be an easy mark. I say somewhat to my dismay because when I've debated Bhaskar, a 29 year old guy, um, and I'm twice as old, uh, I, I was accused of, uh, you know, I was told, you know, pick on somebody your own size. And so I took on Richard, who's a little older than I, a very learned guy who, of course, wants you to know uh, immediately in, in his introductory remarks that, he, that he's got a BA from Harvard and a PhD from Yale. Uh, and uh, so I thought, well, finally, um, I, I'm taking on uh, the, the great heavyweight in socialism. And I, I regret that I didn't emphasize this point in my summation, that I didn't say, hey, look, guys, this this is one. This is the guy, you know, because he he's been called by the Richard Wolf has been called by the New York Times perhaps the most eminent socialist in the country. Oh, uh, Cornell West has called him, you know, our most uh, greatest socialist. So as I said, this is the best that you're going to hear. You know, I mean, I, I guess just to back up. Uh, also, I was just appalled. Uh, that Richard could say, and we socialists have an advantage. We've learned from we've learned from certain mistakes we made in the 20th century. You know, certain mistakes. Uh, I regretted saying. Well, you know, I, I did. I did, of course, say uh, in my rebuttal that the problems of that socialism that Richard mentions in the 20th century was that tens of millions of innocent people were killed. I, I thought that perhaps I'd turn up the temperature. I regret that I didn't uh, by saying so, somewhat sarcastically. Well, it was 
was about 100 million lives taken from that 20th century experiment in socialism. If they if they undergo a tenfold improvement, I guess there will only be 10 million lives taken on the next round. Uh, but I was criticized. Oddly enough, there's never a perfect performance when you debate somebody. And oddly enough, I was criticized for not turning up the rhetoric. Part of the reason why I, I wanted to sort of be nice to Richard and calm and and uh, and agree with him when I could uh, was that I was criticized for being for yelling at Bascar, <laughs> right. and 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 that was and that was definitely dumb. So basically, I'm happy with the way it was handled. I went I beat Bascar by ten percentage points in Oxford style voting. Uh, Richard by 20 percentage points. So probably I took a, 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 it was a better strategy that I took all in all. Yeah. I've, yeah. Uh, I, I actually took a little clip from the, uh, the debate with Richard and I tweeted it out because it's, um, you know, and I'll address a couple of things that you just, you just touched on. But for me, it's, uh, it's remarkable to hear someone like that speak and the types of things they say. And I mean, how many times throughout history have we heard, this is a new socialism? We yeah. have learned yeah. from the things of the past. I mean, yeah. and, and what the point that you made in, I think, both debates, which I watched, um, mm. is that under, and we'll get into to mm. what degree we're limited, limited in the free market capitalism at the moment. And as you said, mm. we should be marching in the other direction, not, yeah. not away from it. Yeah. Um, but these people seem to fail to recognize that if you choose to structure, if, if you feel that the, the current structure of an organization is so dictatorial, is so oppressive, that and another one would work better, not just for the, the workers, but would be sustainable and maybe even more profitable, then mm -hmm. you have the ability to structure your organization yeah. like that today. So sure. why not, if, it, if it's so much better, and if, if everyone would so freely choose mm -hmm. to engage in such an organization of, you know, a more, for lack of a more all-encompassing term, a socialist type of organization, why are there not more of them? And then mm -hmm. the other point is that, you know, I think the framing of this, this debate is always, the, the semantics really kind of muddy the, muddy the waters. Yeah. We should really be, it shouldn't be socialism versus capitalism. Well. It should be freedom versus oppression because a free oh, a, 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 okay. a free market well yeah. he, hear me out here right okay. so a free sure, market sure. allows for you know choice by all the participants in the market right so there's there's no one imposing anything you get to do what you want to do you get to sell your labor you get to buy the products whatever it is in 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 socialism yeah if there's something that is required of you it, that that you don't want to participate in, you will be forced to do that, and that is, in yeah. my opinion, a, a form of oppression. It's it's, mm. it's 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 imposing on your own free will. Yeah. Well, as you know, I I, I made that point both times by talking about uh, uh, by by assuming uh, on two levels. First of all, assuming that 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 there really will be you know the vote of the majority, participatory democracy, that it will really will be voting from the bottom up. I, we know that's really not going to happen in a complicated society, but I say, let's even assume that. And then, uh, then of course, I, I actually quoted Conor Friedersdorf, who, who's the sort of fellow traveler who wrote in The Atlantic. Does this mean that, that we can't have contraceptives? We, we only have contraceptives if and only if a majority of workers says yes, uh, or that we'll only have the sole forum or Jacobin magazine if and only if uh, a, a majority of workers agrees to give them resources. So, uh, of course, I 
touch that point. But then, of course, I said that they're not going to be enough hours in the day. And obviously, we're not going to be able, we are not even going to be, be able to follow all the decisions that have to be made each day. So it's clearly going to come from the same elites uh, that uh, that have ruled uh, the, the previous socialisms. So I did make that point. But I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I balked initially when you said, uh, John, that that it shouldn't be socialism versus capitalism. I want to emphasize one point. Uh, there, there was a week later, a week after my debate, Intelligence Squared uh, had a debate with Bhaskar and Richard Wolff teamed up. Uh, and uh, the resolution read, uh, capitalism is a blessing. That was it. Uh, that the other side had to defend the idea that capitalism is a blessing. And my objection there uh, and why it went badly uh, is that uh, is that unless you, are, you, you have a resolution that chooses between the two, then you're comparing capitalism with some sort of unknown ideal, some sort of vague utopia. And of course, Richard and Baskar were just there to just sort of dump on whatever goes wrong under capitalism and know it's not a blessing. And, and so you're putting capitalism on the defensive. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in the real world, we want to compare one thing with another. But, but speaking to your narrower point, freedom versus oppression, uh, I do think that uh, that you, uh, you that you must take into account that that uh, these debates by me were set up to get socialism socialists to come. Uh, we uh, at the Seoul Forum that that's the debate series I run. Uh, we uh, gave uh, a discount tickets to subscribers to Jacobin Magazine. Uh, we gave Richard Wolf promo code to invite his followers. Uh, and so in both cases, we did something similar. So about one third of the people in the audience were either socialists or very sympathetic to socialism. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to them. Mm -hmm. So so, so you understand that. I don't want to load the dice by saying it's freedom from an oppression. Of course, I, I of want, course. I want to argue with them. I want to say that what you like, what you approve of is going is going to put freedom under siege. Sure. So that, that's that. OK, then, then, then you and I, you and I agree about basically how you frame it if, if you want to reach out to socialists. And uh, and so that that's my main point. But of course, it, it, the burden, you know, we, we it's easy enough to make the argument that you've just made and that I've made uh, that uh, that freedom and uh, and prosperity will be under siege. In the case of prosperity, um, in, in the limited time available, I made this, the, 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 the simple point that prosperity, uh, even a lot of people don't even understand this insight, prosperity basically springs from innovation. Uh, if, you, if you don't have innovation, uh, then if, if nothing changes, then if you turn the clock back to the year 1750, you just would have had more, you know, more uh, potbelly stoves and, uh, and windmills and slow-moving uh, sail sailing ships. You mm -hmm. know, you would have had more investment, people working harder, but you would not have had prosperity. You would have had uh, pretty much the same old, same old. And so uh, it comes then from innovation, and innovation uh, consists so often of what uh, Joseph Schumpeter called creative destruction, uh, the creative destruction of the automobile, the creative destruction of productivity on the farm that drove, uh, you know, drove 80 percent of the workers off the farm. Uh, it does. It, it, it brings up heavals. And so clearly uh, a, a tightly controlled socialist economy controlled either by the majority, which, of course, is a dream or controlled by elites who would vote on these things, uh, they would pretty much uh, protect special interests and choke off, you know, 95 percent or more of the innovation 
innovative projects that uh, that they get uh, applied to them. You know, I pointed out Steve Jobs would not have gone to charm school, and he he clearly now has upended about ten different merchants that sell flashlights and and uh, and uh, and other devices that his smartphone replaces. I don't carry a watch anymore because I've got my my smartphone to tell me the sure. time. So so that's why innovation. That's why you would not get prosperity either. I didn't go for the simple the old style point that uh, that that uh, that there's that there's a lot of disincentives to work under socialism that too is true but but i think that the the, the most important point is to talk about uh, how it would choke off creative destruction right and that point you make about yeah. about innovation is fundamentally yeah. driven by a freedom to be able to pursue yourself your own self-interest right yes. so people yes. are in, in that way driven to find new ways whereas you yeah. said there's many examples of in the past where you know these these top-down ways of solving problems is typically just to throw more bodies at it and it becomes yeah. such a complex structure that mm. nothing gets innovated and in fact it becomes less and less efficient and this was actually a point mm. the, the the point i made about ego obviously it's yeah. a multifaceted sort of thing mm. and a lot of times it's it's overt in the form of arrogance or you know you can pick it up in the way that people speak but in another way it's far more subtle and this is the one that i think is most insidious today because mm. There are, as you know, you know, preaching mm -hmm. to the choir, I know, but the, mm -hmm. the, the market does automatically at, at, you know, at basically no cost matching the inf almost infinite uh, wants and needs with limited resources. It just, yes. it's able to do that without, without in anybody controlling that. Mm -hmm. But once you place that gargantuan task into the hands of, you know, a, a top-down structure, a la a government... And you say, well, we need to have, we need to know what all the data inputs are that are in this market, and then we need to figure out based on our biases or our morals or the voting public, or whatever, how to distribute that most equitably, most fairly, most efficiently, most productively. Um, that believing that that's possible and believing mm -hmm. that you can do it better than the emergent properties of the market is, in my opinion, very egotistical as well. That's a that that's a good insight. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and and of course, to put a fine point on it, uh, it's not just that there really is no input output table that can even put a radioactive isotope in the body of the economy as it exists at any moment in time. Right. Even then, you can't. It, it's almost impossible uh, to command all of that data. However. Even if you could, even if you're some computer nerd who believes that you can, it's always a look backward. So take any moment in time. I like to take 1750, since that really clears the year, or take 1950, or take 1970. It, uh, the, 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 the things that changed, the way in which the economy changed, the vision of a, of a, of a, of a Bezos, of, of Jeff Bezos, or the vision of a Steve Jobs about how things can change in the way we do things, uh, those things have to be tested in the market. And by the way, I would also want to emphasize that most of these visionaries uh, fail. Most of these visions do not work out. Uh, and only the market ultimately can judge uh, which visions 
will work out. And so the fundamental reason why it's egotistical is that it's is that nobody can really foresee the future. Nobody can foresee what will change or how it will change. Uh, it's only the experiment of the market that can ultimately answer that question. Although I want to turn, and you are quite right to, to, to talk about, of course, the ego of such people. I mean, it goes back to John Maynard Keynes and a whole lot of people, the, the economists who want to be at the tables of power and who want to help run the world. I mean, that urge, which I, I understand, I think I had that a little bit when I was in my 20s, uh, that lack of humility and that, and that zeal for power, uh, I think, uh, warps mainstream economics. Uh, it's warped in other ways, too, the, 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 uh, the, the fetish of mathematics, the idea that economics is a branch of mathematics also warps it. But I want to back up and just make a, a, a side point about self-interest and ego, um, which relates in a way to Bitcoin. Uh, you know, we we uh, we right to talk about we're right to quote Adam Smith about appealing to the self-interest of people. And by the way, Adam Smith eschewed selfishness. He's regarded selfishness as meaning something else, and that's been a problem I have with the Ayn Randian people, many of whom I like, but I did debate an Ayn Randian, uh, Yaron Brook, at the Soul Forum about the virtue of selfishness. No, we don't believe that selfishness is a virtue. We acknowledge that there are selfish and greedy people. It's hard to it, it's hard to expunge. You and I are not moral crusaders, and and uh, there will always be selfish and greedy people in an, in any economy, and the more the, the beauty of the market economy is it channels their selfishness and greed into productive ends. A pure market does. Uh, so that's good as well. But I think we also ought to emphasize that uh, that plenty of entrepreneurs uh, had mixed emotions. Yeah, I guess they had some ego, but they were just visionaries. They wanted to bring something new to the market. Uh, if we if we think of all the, the personalities of some of these people from uh, from Jeff, from mo most recently from Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs, Sam Walton, Henry Ford, uh, they, they are, Andrew Carnegie, they were visionaries. And uh, they might have been, you know, saintly visionaries for all we know in terms of their mix of emotions. So uh, I think they are too. Uh, I, th I, I think that really, they, and, and now think of Satoshi. I mean, that's that, that whoever Satoshi is or was, he, he or she or it seems to be a person without ego, because otherwise he'd make himself known to us. But he chose to remain anonymous. And he doesn't didn't want the personal credit for what he or she or it or they did. Uh, uh, wanted to be selfless in terms of making the contribution about the breakthrough of Bitcoin. Right. And and that's a, a point yeah. that a lot of people in the Bitcoin space yeah. really admire and hold yeah. up as something as a very important component of how this whole this network was was launched in that mm -hmm. he, he remained he remained anonymous yeah um, but just so and I let we'll, we'll break into uh, Bitcoin and money and that kind of stuff in a second but yeah what I'm just curious from your perspective because you have these debates and you know you're yeah. you're in New York and stuff like that what do you attribute to what seems to be the rising popularity at least yeah. at least intellectually yeah. because I think you know there's there may not be as much popularity um, or excitement for it in practice, mm. but what do you believe um, is the reason for the rise in popularity of socialism in the United States and potentially around the in other parts of the world today? Yeah, well, you know, I've I've, I've uh, you know grappled with that, of course, impossible question. I, I I begin by saying that I believe that 
uh, certainly from what I observe uh, in my own country, I, I, of course, I obviously read about what goes on in other countries, but there I'm wondering about uh, my own feel or ability to uh, to understand uh, other nationalities. Um, it, it it I could almost turn the question on its head and ask, how do I account for the for the vast popularity of of uh, libertarianism in Brazil? You know, the biggest the Students for Liberty is the biggest uh, branch of Students for Liberty is in Brazil. Why why Brazil? Why did it happen there? That's libertarianism. Uh, but uh, I and I also think how it, that domestically. Um, to uh, to get back to the to, to the narrow uh, part of the question domestically the the, the uh, in this country the popularity of socialism I think is skin deep um, I think it's uh, it 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 uh, it may not last people could flip pretty quickly that's part of the reason why I wanted to have these debates with socialists but uh, but the of course the easy answer and and probably inadequate that I as an economist. Uh, who has been devoting his career to following the ups and downs of the economy and interpreting the numbers, the easy answer that I can give is that uh, young people were subjected to the trauma, the unexpected trauma of the uh, of the Great Recession of 08 and 09. That's when they came of age. They they, uh, they 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 saw many of their parents struggle. Then when they entered the job market, the slow recovery of, of 2020, 2011 uh, buffeted them. And uh, and then unfortunately, because uh, the, uh, the, the mainstream can't figure out what causes recessions, uh, uh, they blamed it on capitalism, and so they went through uh, traumatic times, and uh, and then so that made them uh, susceptible uh, to the blandishments of socialism. Uh, and uh, an inadequate answer, but certainly uh, looking back, I I'm 75, so I was a I was left leaning uh, for sure in my 20s. I was part of the new left movement. I demonstrated against the Democrat in the Democratic convention in 1968. Um, so I was part of that anger as well, and they, in, in a way, that anger is even harder to account for. Although, of course, the, uh, in part, it's harder to account for. We were demonstrating against the Vietnam War that we, we were being asked to become cannon fodder in America's war. But prior to that, there was a new left movement, and they, even there, it's harder to account for why the popularity of socialism then. Although I will say. That would that that the new left movement that I was a part of uh, in the 1960s uh, did become a, a sort of self-help movement. It did set the example of believing that we have to we have to start the revolution now and create communes, go to the country, create communal farms, all of that stuff. That happened a great deal. It all failed, but at least at least it was an honest attempt to live the revolution right away under capitalism, mm -hmm. which is what I've been preaching to the socialists. I, I also just want to sandwich in a, a post-mortem. I don't know if I, I discovered that Richard Wolff did a little talk in which he was discussing my debate with him in which he actually recalled uh, a series of incidents. In fact, the only thing he re things he recounted about our exchange were things that simply did not take place. He he said that he said that that I that I liked to call. I'd like to. I enjoyed pointing out to him that Hitler was a socialist. You know, I happen to believe that probably you can make that argument that national socialism, as it was called, was 
basically another form of socialism. However, I didn't mention Hitler at all. He he recalled that he asked me a question to which I smiled and nothing of that sort happened. And so I and I only discovered this by I was listening I listened to Dave Smith's part of the problem podcast and Dave Smith had been sent this video in which Richard is talking about our debate and on my it was just jaw dropping. He he everything he recounted simply didn't take place in our debate. And of course I I tweeted this a couple of times. I said, please listen to the debate and you'll find that Richard is living in a dream world. And I, the only thing I could interpret is that he did feel a little bit bruised. And I guess, I guess he kept mumbling to himself, well, how did it really go? And he turned around in his mind that, uh, that, that these things transpired during the debate that simply didn't happen. So, I mean, that, that's sort of an ultimate commentary on the fantasy world in which Richard Wolfe lives. But I, I, going back to your question, uh, that's the best answer I can give. There were economic traumas mm -hmm. uh, over the last 10 years, uh, which I think uh, induced in our young people, especially a sort of skin deep loyalty to socialism that I think is probably not going to last. Yeah, I, I agree with much of that. Yeah. And on the yeah. on the, the point about Richard Wolf, I mean, I, I yeah. think that's a characteristic, right? It is a characteristic yeah. that I see uh, in a lot of people that support socialism, yeah. and there's obviously many factors. There's, there's, um, but perhaps not as well informed uh, about you know all of these different economic uh, theories or, or area, areas of thought. But there's yeah. a naivete, and there's many other things. But there's all, as we mentioned, ego. But I also yeah. think you know delusion is is a big part of it, and it, it defined as not being able to see things for the way they are. Now, we all struggle with that. That's, you know, nobody sees with absolute clarity. Yeah, but yeah. I, I tend to see a greater degree of that, uh, or lack of that, rather, in when I observe socialists speak. And I think that's why I commend your work, you know, and the okay. work that I do in the podcast, and everybody who's talking about um, trying to bring more clarity, more information to this subject matter, because I feel like today, Part of the reason for the popularity of socialism is because people are misinterpreting what we currently have as pure capitalism, and they're saying, yeah. "Well, clearly this isn't working. Look at my family. Look at my look at the price of goods. Look at my wages. Look at all these things. My quality of life is not where I think it should be." And darn it, we're in a capitalist system, so capitalism must be bad, and that by default means socialism must be good. So I'm a I'm a advocate of socialism now, and that is yeah. you know that is such a well, that is delusional. I don't think that's a very clear appraisal or assessment of what's going on. And so I think bringing some more clear and focused and calm language to these things, as well as the requisite information so that you can understand them more fully, is definitely very important because we need people to understand what we currently have now, and this is what we'll break into next, mm. is, is, you know, I would say now we have... Uh, you know, I've heard the term corporate socialism before, mm -hmm. but we, with the government, I, I tweeted this out yesterday, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I used a little bit of exaggeration or license, let's say, but I said, how can you call a system in which the government is one half of every, or controls the value of one half of every transaction, f you know, free market capitalism? And I'm referring, yes. to, I'm referring to the fact that the government, you know, controls uh, the currency. You know, so how could mm -hmm. how could you describe that? I mean, that's very socialism in, socialist mm -hmm. in my mind because the mm -hmm. government is party to every single transaction, and yeah. so um, mm -hmm. so I think we need to reframe it and put different language around these arguments. Now I know that's difficult mm -hmm. because this is yeah. oft, often such an emotionally charged debate that it's really hard to get people to 
you know, shelve their emotions for the for at least a little while and try to uh, try to understand positions and try to delve into these subjects, you know, more deeply than maybe they have before. But uh, mm-hmm. what I wanted to break into next is, and th- this will probably segue us into money and Bitcoin. Is before before I segue, can I comment on what you just said? Yes, uh, please. Uh, just, I, I mean, I want to. Uh, of course, you're right that uh, that uh, we have to talk about what kind of uh, capitalism we have. Uh, the the most striking thing about, uh, as I mentioned, it's not just that Richard was uh, could not hear my arguments when I made them. Uh, when we encountered each other, but of course I was just personally appalled that uh, he could be, he could describe he could have the lunacy to describe for people a debate that w- that existed on podcast and could be accessed on video to to expose the fact that he was completely mischaracterizing what I said. The, the, the worst of it was the most ridiculous part was not just the Hitler part, but he said that Gene Epstein kept telling him that capitalism is perfect, you know, that that uh, that free market capitalism operates perfectly, you know, and uh, and that, of course, is what we're up against, because I guess, now, of course, I didn't say anything about perfection. And uh, and I'm an Austrian. I, I believe that uh, that markets are going to fail us constantly, even under free market capitalism. Uh, and, a, and a market failure is, is, is 99% of the time an entrepreneurial opportunity, but often an entrepreneurial opportunity that goes unexploited. And so we Austrians know that that's not true of the market. And this, but Richard was getting this uh, of course, this word perfect uh, that I didn't use and characterizing and saying that I did use it uh, from uh, his encounter with, uh, you know, the, the, with the mainstream and with the notion of perfect competition in microeconomics. And so we have that to deal with. Uh, we we have to point out that, uh, no, there's you no know, institutions fail us all the time. But uh, but uh, but in the realm of economics, government institutions fail us most of the time, almost all the time, market institutions fail us less often. And so it went to that extreme with Richard. And that's where I almost felt, you know, we had a friendly conversation before the debate started. And, and, I, and I sort of felt personally betrayed by this lunatic. He's, he's putting, and, but again, I, I just kept insisting, listen to the debate. You'll find that he's living in a dream world about what I actually said. Mm-hmm. And that was perfection. But, but then getting to your point about crony capitalism, you know, I, I think that, um, that, that, uh, that, the, that the system has been actually doing a lot better than the mainstream characterizes it. I, I do think that they exaggerate inflation uh, and, uh, and that, in fact, uh, most people are living better. We, we, we are living in a, in a, not right now, certainly, after the trauma of the Great Recession, we are doing better. But uh, I, I'm only saying, though, that, that the balance uh, of statements that we have to make uh, between uh, my stating at the debate, what I said at the debate was that, uh, that even the flawed capitalism we have now, you know, heavily distorted by government intervention on behalf of the powerful, is preferable by far to the socialism that Richard 
uh, is advocating. And I think I think that uh, it's important for libertarians like you and me to to have to insist on that point. I think we sound like we equivocate a little bit too much if we say, well, you know, I don't like what goes on either, and I'm you know, I'm not going to defend it. No, I did have to defend even our flawed system uh, um, in terms of prosperity and freedom against the socialism that Richard uh, was advocating. But while at the same time, the delicate balance uh, beginning to suggest the ways in which we need more capitalism and not less, the ways in which the crony capitalist system, or as I called it, the capitalist system, a contraction of crony capitalism, does distort uh, what we've got. But my, but, but while I uh, obviously endorse your tweet, uh, I, I would say that we should never uh, be caught saying that this, that what we have is so bad that we don't prefer it to socialism. Uh, but I was criticized, uh, you know, again, obviously every, anybody can, can give you Monday morning quarterbacking and I actually appreciated the criticisms because I, I, of course I can only plead in, in response that I had only a certain number of minutes to make my case, but I was criticized, for example, in not on the one hand uh, saying, uh, advocating that capitalism is a blessing, that's really a wonderful thing. Um, I, I emphasize that it's flawed and so I was criticized for that. And, and then on the other hand, I was told, well, you seem to be having it both ways. Uh, on the one hand, you say th this system is preferable. On the other hand, uh, you're saying it's not so preferable because of chronic capitalism. So I responded to the one critic by saying, you know, suppose you go to a doctor and the doctor says, well, you're healthier than most people, but you do need uh, treatment for these various ailments. So the sure. doctor's not contradicting himself. He's, he's just making two statements that are perfectly compatible with each other. But you and I might, uh, given your drift, you and I, however, my final point to make, you and I, my, I, I you and I might disagree about one thing. I still, I do still claim that, that because it's palpable and factual, that people really are living better than 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that there really has been material progress under uh, our current system. I do believe that on balance, we have uh, the crony capitalist system is not dominant. That, that, and I think that there's a tendency on the part of my fellow Austrians often uh, to, uh, to underestimate the resiliency of, of, of free market forces, even under the system we currently have. Yeah, well, I'll, I can assure you that my yeah. followers on Twitter will be... Uh will will not take my my recent tweet as uh, supporting socialism in in, in no, any way okay. or shitting on capitalism i'm i'm very much very much uh you know i, I i'm very critical of social, socialism very often in uh, yes. on on twitter but yes. you know and I, I agree with much of what you just said and to me it's just a matter of saying what do we have and how can it be better i mean that's just yeah. a sensible way of looking at anything it doesn't matter if it's your health if it's a business if it's the economy and one of the the, the, the one of the troubling issues, of course, is that socialists uh, socialists always say we've never had true socialism, and that's why we need to try it again. Oh, and yeah. and you know, yeah. I, I I need I still need to figure out how to frame it because I'm basically mm -hmm. saying we've never had or in in pockets perhaps, but we don't currently have true free market capitalism, and we you know that would be better. So we're stuck in this kind of philosophical. Uh, uh, quagmire because we're both well, we're both kind of saying we've never we, we've never had it as we're envisioning it and therefore we we need to try it but well, i just I, I, I mean i i mean i don't think it's a quagmire i mean i look i mean again i, w I would only say that that again that's why i took a deep dive into richard's 
uh, plan. the the idea the ideal which which Basco and the rest of them love they 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 want they want worker control they want sort of bottom up control. I pointed out that there was a new a, a huge movement in the 1980s about this. They are well intentioned people. They for the most part they don't like authoritarianism. For the most part they renounce the brutality of the conventional socialism. But with good intentions they want you know worker ownership and control. So again that's that's out there. That is true socialism. And and, and that's where I pointed out that even if you can imagine participatory democracy, the 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 mantra of the new left in the 1960s, uh, then then that will simply mean the tyranny of the majority. That that I I played with that point. I said I said it's a fantasy, but let's even assume the fantasy becomes reality. Do we really want? Uh, I mentioned you know Muslim Muslim prayer rugs and mosques. Do we really want a 51 percent of the people to tell us? what to do. Go with that fantasy. That is true socialism. So I think it's easy enough to drive a stake through that heart. Sure. So I don't, so, okay. Sure. And, and, and just to capstone yeah. on, on, on yeah. your, on what you were saying previously yeah. is, is, yeah. is I agree, of course, that yeah. we're in a better situation now, despite the heavy burden that, you know, let's say free markets are having to bear as a result of the level of government intervention in the economy and economies yeah. around the world. We're yeah. def, we're definitely better off. Nobody's going to uh, argue with that. What I wonder is, at what cost has has our current situation come and what has been you know taken off the table as like what greater prosperity might there have been oh. had we been under a, you know a different system but we no, could not, oh yeah well no 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 I, I i think that if you do a back of the envelope calculation just putting it in terms of just kind con of conventional growth figures uh, there, there had been moments in time there's a moment when there was an eight percent gdp growth uh, i think that there could be seven percent economic growth every year which would mean a doubling of output every 10 years uh, it could be double and triple the, the 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 unimaginable economic progress if you i mean i could go into that but if you just just think in terms of of the creativity that would be unleashed uh, and uh, and the dead weight of government removed then of course uh, it would be uh, just extraordinary so i latch upon a number of seven percent double every 10 years uh, i think that's easily achievable yeah but, well let's yeah. let's break into that because in, in my yeah. opinion yeah um you know that because people will always ask well if this is the, the capitalism the quote-unquote capitalism free markets that we currently have yeah. what what happened why don't we have the one that you're telling me about why don't we have that and well, in, in my opinion you know yeah it's it's all about the money who controls mm -hmm. the money in an economy? And there's been periods yeah. throughout history where a harder, sounder money has been used. Obviously, mm -hmm. gold. Let's say late, eight, you know, 1870s to early 1900s, mm -hmm. where you know this is an era that's that's generally touted as you know a hard money, sound money era. And look at all the great things that that occurred during that time. Mm -hmm. However, because of the attributes of the money used of gold. It still remained, even though it was far better than fiat experiments in the past or other forms of money used. Its attributes let it was it was still susceptible to co-option or coercion or or change or things of this nature. So for me, it's all about the money, and this will obviously lead us into a talk about Bitcoin. But mm -hmm. what's yeah. your what's your opinion? Why do mm -hmm. we have the capitalism uh, that we have now, and why has it run amok? Why do we? Why has it devolved into the cronyism and the capitalism that you've you've dis, uh, articulated? Well, there's the the the. the 
I mean, the, 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 the sort of dialectic, you know, I, I, liked, I liked an essay by Hans Hermann Hoppe, uh, uh, who was a Misesian. Uh, I, I, not everybody uh, likes that essay, but I think it was kind of clever, in which, in which he, he begins by saying that, uh, that he endorses a lot of the vision of Karl Marx, except that Karl Marx uh, doesn't put it right. Uh, that that there basically is the dialectic between tyranny and freedom, and the intellectuals, uh, the smart people, uh, are invariably seduced by the blandishments of power, and uh, and so they preach on behalf of the powerful. And uh, that and uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 special interests that inevitably arise in any society uh, are, are difficult to expose because, for the most part, uh, the intellectuals work for them. I mean, one of the obvious flaws of the, uh, of, the of the of our economy in the in the in the 1800s was that banks were forbidden to merge. I don't know if you know that simple problem that that uh, that a bank that was called unit banking, a bank that uh, that uh, issued uh, uh, money and credit in a agricultural community, let's say that's dominated by the output of soybeans, uh, would uh, in a in a market system. Uh, logically merge with other banks uh, because merging merged banks banks be, banks that that might be in other regions that would be lending money where they where they uh, turn out wheat or cotton or where they uh, where they turn out manufactured goods those banks that would merge would obviously have diversified risk and be much more powerful so those those merging tendencies would have been very natural in the free market but there were constant bank failures because local banks in line with policy Politicians, in line with uh, you know with, with rationalizers who worked for them, uh, liked the idea of keeping out competition, and so that was part of the reason why we did have boom and bust. A good part of the reason why we had boom and bust in the uh, in the late uh, 1800s, and what led to the panic of 07, and and the panic of 07, which which led to the creation of the Federal Reserve. Again, there were at that time, by the way, when the Federal Reserve was created, a lot of people who understood what reforms should be instituted in order to mute booms and busts, but they were overruled by powerful bankers who could buy intellectuals. And so it's a constant battle uh, between the powerful who usually have the smart high IQ people on their side. Uh, my, a guy I admire, Michael Munger, uh, who's a, a, a political economist, actually, he, he has argued that, that the crony capitalist system is hopeless to reform, will never be able to fight it. It's endemic to capitalism. Why? It's endemic because uh, the usual argument that that it benefits a few and hurts the many, but hurts the many in 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 ways that the many can't quite feel or be aware of. And so the constant, you know, the typically typical example is the sugar interest, the sugar lobby. They they keep out the imports of sugar. They maintain price controls. So it benefits them narrowly, and it hurts us only by a few cents on the dollar. So we don't fight it. So Michael Munger argues, well, it's hopeless uh, to fight the 
Chinese crony capitalists. Well, I, I think it's absurd. It's not hopeless to fight them once we point out to people the simple and palpable fact that that the whole swarm of these people are uh, are by forcing us uh, by by intervening in the market are are stealing from us. It one 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 would you could have said it's hopeless to abolish slavery. I mean that the 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 fight for freedom takes a long time. Sometimes it takes hundreds of years. But if we look back in time, there has been relative tangible progress. We do live in a freer world than than the world was uh, a couple hundred years ago, to at least a few hundred years ago. And so I do think it's hopeful, but I don't think it's surprising that 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 the blandishments of tyranny, especially to the intellectuals, are are very mouthwatering to them. And so we still live in a world in which the mainstream economists and the mainstream intellectuals are on the side of power. I was taught this by a left winger named Noam Chomsky. American power and the new mandarins was the name of the book he wrote about the Vietnam War. He exposed for me, so the scales fell from my eyes. He exposed for me that that the uh, that the political scientists, the political uh, uh, professors who were who were running teachings about the Vietnam War, were ba basically assumed uh, the uh, the, the uh, basically accepted the assumptions of American imperialism that America, the American government, owns the world, and because it owns the world, it has a right to do what it wants in the world. And so I understood this right away from him about politics, and then. Studying economics, I began to recognize that this exists in, poly in in economics as well. The average economist dreams of becoming chairman of the Federal Reserve or chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. But but we do have Austrian economics. We do have the insights of the free market uh, with which to fight them. And I think that there is some chance, possibly even a good chance, that eventually we'll win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is... Um... I, I, this reminds me of a discussion I had recently at a, a Christmas party, yeah. I think last weekend, which obviously such uh, such uh, occasions aren't the greatest for for these types of conversations. Yeah. But yeah. but you know the argument I was making was yeah. was pretty simple. It, you know because people there's a lot of um, uh, not hate, but the, you know people are very much against billionaires and large companies and stuff yeah. these yeah. these yeah. days. And yeah. I I was making the point that. If someone becomes a billionaire in a, in a true free market, it's because they provided a product or service that the market deemed worth a certain amount. So what they receive is perfectly equitable because they brought value to the market and the market mm -hmm. valued it and freely gave them mm -hmm. their resources in exchange mm -hmm. for it. The problem is, is that in a true free market, that should be the apex of, of market success. You know, mm -hmm. as many market participants as possible value your product and service, and you reap the rewards of that. There's no mm -hmm. higher aim. But if you have a centralized power structure over top of that, then there is a higher aim. Then you're incentivized to even go further. So if you if you have if you have a successful business, then it's not just getting as much as you can out of the market. But there's a point at which you say, I could get even more if I lobby, if I get regulations and laws mm -hmm. changed, and mm -hmm that I can push my power and influence that I derive from the market in the, in the form of wealth, and I can push it through the power structure to gain even more unfair, um, you know, mm -hmm. return. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my argument was that, you know, billionaires and large corporations and that kind of stuff are 
a, a absolute good in a free market. Where it goes awry is when they have a honeypot of a centralized power structure to get them to to magnify. Uh, mm -hmm. their their power and influence once they establish some of it mm -hmm. and of course mm -hmm. this is counter to you know what socialists are actually claiming because they want that that power structure and that centralized uh, government to be even larger and thus mm -hmm. you're increasing the honeypot by whatever means people ultimately access it but mm -hmm. you're, you're 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 making that issue potentially worse and so that was the argument yeah. that i was making well you're quite right yeah no yeah i i i could i, I guess a few comments about that i mean it, at the most extreme i mean i know i know uh, i won't mention his name even though he probably won't mind uh, an eminent sort of classical liberal uh, has talked about how uh, he's got a daughter in the real estate uh business and uh, and he's observed close up that that it seems like you know in the real estate business about the last thing you have to know about is how to put up a building you know or how to run a building you know, the main thing you bring to the party is uh, is is how to work uh, the political machine you know right. it, it's it's that worked you know that's uh, you know that's the real value of being in the real estate market because the real estate market is so filled with car cartels uh, that it, that it's even before you 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 get anywhere in the market it, it, and you you talk about how you build a business and and then and then you turn to politics as indeed does tend to happen i mean i certainly amazon for example has some blemishes on its um, on its uh, record but uh, but for the most part, obviously, Bezos, uh, be, you know, Bezos is billions. It's almost a joke when you talk about how Bezos Bezos is hoarding all these billions and he should give them away. You know, it's it's all based based upon the on on the valuation of a company that has made comparatively little in profit. Mm -hmm. uh, that that just that that he keeps building this empire. He now wants to sell uh, clothing and clothing and food. And he said, you can't be a merchant to the world unless you go into those fields as well. He he's just got this vision that we all respond to. I I, I do want to just comment as a sidelight on one of my hobby horses, which is that I was, I've been persuaded by, uh, in particular, for example, uh, Friedrich Hayek's book, uh, the, the Mirage of Social Justice, about the idea of pushing, not, you didn't use that word, but, but it sometimes comes up, the idea that billions are merited, the idea of the meritocracy, the idea that the distribution of, of income reflects merit. Well, I, I, I commented on this in the course of criticizing Thomas Piketty's book uh, about called Capital in the 20th, uh, to 20th Century, 21st Century, uh, is what it was, uh, a, a book, of course, about about the corruption of capitalism. And uh, I, I used that as my example. I said, Piketty, this has been a, a doorstop bestseller globally. Piketty has probably made millions of euros from the sale of this book. I think the book is absolutely without merit uh, uh, and, but uh, but I don't I can't I can't begrudge him his his, his millions uh, this was a, a free exchange on the free market uh, my point is only that you and I don't want to be gulled into saying uh, that that all income is merited uh, merit is not the issue it's just capitalist acts between consenting adults mm -hmm. if you and I you and I can imagine how w would we like to see more money and more investment in certain things that we personally like do we, are, are there many things on the brought out on the market that are very successful that have no are of no value at all to us like Piketty's book of course mm -hmm. so so we're not pushing the idea of a meritocracy we're just pushing the idea that you respect 
the, the, the actions of people in terms of what they want to buy. It's their rights. Even the idea of good, that this is doing good, uh, that's, it's doing, it, it, you might say it's doing bad. Look, if, if you're somebody who's very upset about the fact that Barnes & Noble is now like, you know, one, one fifth the size of what it used to be, that I'm, personally think it's upsetting. I, I'm, I enjoyed going into the Barnes and Noble stores, but but I'm part of the I'm part of the problem. I I, I buy my books from from Amazon for the most part. And so uh, but but if you uh, if you think it's terrible that these bricks and mortar stores have been uh, uh, are now collapsing, then uh, then create an alternative. Then, uh, you know, then 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 uh, let's have a call to financial arms and create the, the alternative of bookstores that, uh, that that are bricks and mortar. My point is, again, only that we don't want to court, be caught in the trap of saying it's good or meritocratic. It's just people exercising their own rights in the free market. But going back to your point, uh, indeed, uh, you know, that's, you know, to put, a, to put a finer point on what you just said at this Christmas party, uh, it's really that, that Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren really are pushing uh, ugly, the ugliest side of crony capitalism. Mm -hmm. That's what they that that's what their plans are going to result in. Mm -hmm. That's what Medicare for all is going to become. Yeah, and and it's funny. It's yeah. obvious. You know, this was the exact the person I was speaking with. They were you know extremely adamantly for Bernie Sanders, and this was yeah. the genesis of of the argument. But what, yeah. what one of the things you just said that you know that always comes up in my mind yeah. is that people fail to recognize that the most well. This, this this could be misconstrued because oh. in the current system yes. there's, there's different. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah. In the, in the current system, there's there's different ways to exercise you know power in in the market. Let's say, but yeah. I um, people fail to recognize that it's it's the way that they allocate the resources, i.e., how they spend their money, that is the greatest vote that they can cast. And yeah. you know, so often in these these arguments. People want to have their cake and eat it too. You know, you want your iPhone and you want your Frappuccino and you want all this kind of stuff, yeah. but you don't want to allow the people that provide you those services to freely do so. You know, it's yeah. a real, it's yeah. a, some sort of a, a, a gap or a dissonance between, uh, you know, ha having the lifestyle that you have and that you want and some ideological or philosophical uh, construction that you have in your mind of how things could be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but Gina, we're we're getting on a little bit in time, so I want to oh, break okay. into. Uh, I mean, <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm I'm totally fine, but I don't I want to be respectful of your time. No no okay no that no I'm uh, you know I'm uh, I, once you get me started. Uh, okay, perfect. Shut me up. So per go ahead. Per perfect. If, so yeah. like I was saying a few minutes ago, I think you know one of the the primary reasons why this has run amok is because it's been uh, corruptible. And I mm -hmm. think that is because of the type of money that uh, that has been used. I'd yeah. like to get your take sure. on on the well. Perhaps you could mm -hmm. define money for me, and mm -hmm. then talk about its uh, importance, and then uh, we can break into how you think the type of money currently used has corrupted the system, mm -hmm. and then uh, maybe we can okay. talk about about Bitcoin. Well, sure. Okay. And uh, I, I guess I could give you the 65-minute version <laughs> of that because I have a lot to say about it, but I'll try to keep it brief. That, that was a bit uh, of a long I, question. I apologize. Well, don't. Yeah. no need to apologize. Uh, I, I, I actually do think 
that uh, that while um, I learn all the time from people like you who know who will always know a lot more about the technicalities of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular than I, but I I do feel that oftentimes uh, they should learn a little bit from me who has been steeped in the Austrian tradition about money and understands what money is all about. Uh, one of my hobby horses is that, to answer your question, what is money? Money is simply a medium of exchange. It's simply a medium by which you and I exchange goods and services. And uh, and that may sound lame to say that's all it is, but part of what uh, I bridle at is that then people start talking about money as a store of value, mm -hmm. which is something they got from the mainstream. And I think it leads them into sort of odd rabbit holes. Uh, money uh, is in a, an advanced, econ advanced economy. It's not a store of value. Um, nobody in his right mind would store value by just putting but through Bitcoin. I'm talking about storing value, but you could speculate in Bitcoin at this point, or you could speculate in gold, because these things are not as yet the medium of exchange. These uh, things like Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies are clearly uh, used to some small degree as mediums of exchange, but they're increasing in value because there is a bet being made that ultimately they could become uh, the dominant medium of exchange. But that's not a storing value. That's a speculation, which is perfectly honorable. Now, speculators are always very important in any market. But when we store value, if Bitcoin were money, say, which, which I, I would welcome the day when Bitcoin does become the medium of exchange, then what will happen, of course, is that nobody's going to speculate in Bitcoin or treat it as a store of value in an advanced economy. We, we, we store value by buying stocks and bonds, or we sometimes speculate in commodities, which are, all, which are usually volatile in price, or we speculate in land, which can appreciate in price. That's the way in which, or, or we buy a property, buy a building. That's how we store value in an advanced economy. Only only the fanatics think in terms of storing value by putting it in terms of money. Uh, that's ridiculous. And I make that point only because I do think that it leads to confusion. Now, how did money come to be? I think it's important for people to appreciate what has been what Mises called the regression theorem. That's Ludwig von Mises, the Austrian economist. Uh, money has value because for us because of what it could buy yesterday. Uh, we we accept a certain amount of money because we know that yesterday it had purchasing power and money had value yesterday because of what it could val buy the day before and then money the day before that had value because of money it, what it could buy the day before that and so as Mises said putting a fine point on it we're now working regressing back in time to the day when money came into being and when money came into being it clearly was some kind of a commodity uh, gold or seashells or silver it was it was a commodity that that had value as a commodity and then it began to be used as money and gold is serviceable as money uh, 
gold gold was a good money, the best alternative we had. But I think that arguably Bitcoin is a better money. I actually had a little bit of a problem early on with Bitcoin because I couldn't quite square it with the regression theorem. But I don't think it's very difficult. I did notice that at least what from what I read that Satoshi and some of his writings seem to have some awareness of the Misesian insight about money. And then once those once Bitcoin could buy uh, those famous pizza pies, it began to become money. And now, of course, it, it the dollar became money because the dollar was built on gold. Uh, that it, it it connected to gold, which was the money before that. And so that's how the dollar became money. And this is how, by and large, as my friend Robert Murphy points out, the, the, the Bitcoin has sort of built on the dollar or built on other currencies to become uh, understandable as money. And on balance, if you, if you towed up the pluses and minuses of gold as money and towed up the pluses and minuses of Bitcoin as money, I think that Bitcoin has the best chance of becoming money uh, has probably is a more serviceable money uh, than gold was, uh, and even though gold uh, did have uh, its uses, and gold obviously was a huge step forward. It but gold, of course, evolved uh, quickly, evolved naturally. Now the final insight is that is that money is a network commodity. Uh, by that I mean that uh, that that uh, the, the the talk at times that I sometimes hear from crypto enthusiasts is that isn't it wonderful we have so many different cryptocurrencies competing with each other this is the kind of world we'll live in well it's not the kind of world we'll live in most likely because most of us want to hold what we want to do is that's what gold became dominant in money because people want to hold the kind of money and use the kind of money that other people use that we want to use the most popular money because we want money. We want the money we use uh, to have the maximum amount of, of of purchasing power, and purchasing power means that we want it. We want the popular money. So the popular money then will will, will feed on its own popularity, and that's why eventually what happened was that gold became the dominant money. Uh, and similarly, uh, what will happen again is the network for for. Probably Bitcoin will win out, or whichever one will win out. If we can abolish government's fiat money, uh, then uh, then there will be one money, possibly two monies. Uh, uh, Mises said, Mises wrote that maybe silver and gold would have been the monies. Maybe there would have been two monies, but maybe there would have been only one. Ne never more than two in the world. Now. Why does government want to get into the money business? Why is that indeed? I agree with you. Why Why is that the worst thing? As I have said, I would prefer that government dominate the shoe industry rather than dominate the money industry. The shoes will pinch, but we can, we can probably have underground that will make shoes. We can walk around in sandals. We can get by. But when government dominates the money supply, that, that's when all kinds of bad things happen. Uh, that's when booms and busts occur. But why did government want to dominate? the money supply historically the kings wanted to fight their wars they could they could they had to finance those wars they could finance the wars through taxing and borrowing but that's not a good way to finance a war sorry yep. that's not an easy way to finance a war the most the easiest way to finance the war is to take seize the people's money 
uh, decide that money has to be run by the government and then debase the currency and then print money in order to finance your wars. So that's how World War I was financed. That's how World War II was financed. And that's why it's pernicious. And that's why left-wingers who object to the imperialism of government uh, should understand that freeing up a free market in money is the most powerful way in which we can combat America's wars, our government's wars. Uh, and finally, I guess, and I'm, uh, hopefully got brought this in by less than 60 minutes, my hope, my hope is that, uh, that when the fiscal crisis of the state begins to bite, which I think will be in about 15 years, maybe there's a chance uh, that Bitcoin beca can become the dominant money. The, the debt of the U.S. government is uh, is piling up. I think that in about 15 to 20 years, the temptation for them to really print money, uh, uh, to, to, to let the printing presses roll in order to finance their debt, could lead to uh, the instability of the dollar uh, and the instability of the dollar just as in the 1970s and into the early 80s when uh, double-digit inflation was running rampant before we had Bitcoin, gold began to soar in value as a refuge from the dollar. I think that very conceivably this could happen in 15 to 20 years when the fiscal crisis of the state begins to bite and there could be a turn toward Bitcoin. That's the reason. Why. But of course, timing timing is impossible in terms of these things. I think that Bitcoin is potentially a good bet for the future. It has some chance of, of, of soaring in value to uh, to a million dollars per Bitcoin, to two million dollars per Bitcoin if it, if it became money. And therefore, I think it's wise to allocate for anybody to allocate a portion of his personal resources to accumulating Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with and understand much of, of what you said. There's one yeah. part I'd like to yeah. break, break into, though. So, so sure. if you'll permit me for a moment to, to share my opinion, and then uh, I'll, no. I'll, co I'll come. I'll come you're, running, you're, you're running this show. No, I, but what I'm saying is I, it may be a bit long-winded, and then I'll come to a question, and I'll throw it back oh. to you, because it's not, it's not super clear in my mind. And I'm, Talk about being long-winded. You're talking about this. <laughs> so, so you go ahead, John. Okay, thanks, Gene. Sure. So, so you know bitcoin is is definitely it's a paradigm shift in in my mind and it's yeah. something that's very difficult for a lot of people to understand the idea of digital scarcity the idea i mean even yeah. even money itself is something yes. that a lot of people um haven't really thought of and obviously don't fully understand so i think we're in this sort of time when it's even possible that that pre-existing rules or understandings about these things are susceptible to uh either gross or or slight change in in understandings and so the the, the first part right now let, let's say just for the sake of this discussion that bitcoin does become the global money in this yeah. this term that bitcoiners use called hyper bitcoinization where bitcoin becomes the standard all around the world hyper okay right Initial hyper bitcoinization. yeah okay um and so Right now, we would be in the, the kind of monetization phase of that, where the money is flowing in and people are basically, you know, trading in their respective currencies to get a portion of their their wealth in Bitcoin. And in the future, right, when, when everything is transacted in Bitcoin, ultimately, then the growth of in the value or in the price of, of Bitcoin will probably somewhat approximate the growth of the, the economic growth. Yeah, right when uh, everything um, is transacted, so like, like let, let, let me let me get this one out, and then okay, you yeah. you you get me sure. with every, back sure. with your response. Sure. I'm taking notes. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, so right now, of course, in the early days of that process, there's a 
there's a lot of uh, speculative gain to to be derived if mm -hmm. you guess correctly, right? Because yeah. The, yeah. The, the 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 price is going to have to adjust to account for all the economic activity that's that's flooding in and for which has to be res represented ultimately by yes. Bitcoin. So mm -hmm. right now, speculative phase. Um, but I want to go back to the 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 medium of exchange, um, uh, or, or sorry, the store of value component, oh, because um, you know when we invest money, right, we're looking for yield of of some kind, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's you're investing in a startup, a high risk, or you're investing in bonds or something like that, you're looking for some kind of yield. And mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people in the in the Bitcoin uh, community think about money is that of course you know it, it is a medium of exchange and it is a unit of account but it also is a store of value but they might but they may not all happen it's a speculation john but go hold ahead. on gee hold on they, they 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 may not all happen at the same time right so different phases of the monetization of the money you may get different use cases for it and so in, well, in, right in, now it's a speculation right right exactly. right, right okay and not so a store of value. And, and so in my opinion you know the demand from the demand for money is a very interesting thing to dig into but ultimately yeah. i think the attributes of 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 anything really but in this case we're talking about money the attributes of the money dictate its demand you know as for 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 money sorry so whether we take gold or we take fiat currency some of the attributes may be its scarcity it's 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 uh, which is a limitation on how much can be created, for example, or yeah. how can it be functionally used in exchange? Can it be easily sent? Can it be easily stored? Can it be safely stored? All of these yeah. things are the different attributes for which people get to assess and say, as a result of those attributes, I value this money as whatever. And now, therefore, I'm willing to pay whatever price for it or I'm not willing to pay for whatever price for it. Yeah. And so. In, in that context, I think ultimately when it is fully monetized, if that should should be the case, <clears throat> yeah. I think Bitcoin, because of its scarcity, <clears throat> will be a very, sh should be in my mind, a, a strong store of value. If I'm looking for yield beyond that, if I'm looking for an investment return of some kind, then maybe I'll look at another option. But what, in, in my opinion, what money one of the services, let's say, that money should be, is to store value, not to not to gain value, not to you know gain income, not to gain <laughs> yield, but a, a a a something so that your excess resources, your excess you know uh, capacity that you generate via your work that you want to save for later, that's what money is for: is to keep that in a in a <clears throat> in a container. That doesn't leak, let's say, just to, 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 to use a metaphor. And so that's not the case right now, obviously, with Bitcoin. But I think whether we're talking about how gold was historically used or how Bitcoin may be used in the future, I think that's a aspect of money that people are demanding. And I think that is a large part of the reason why the market is valuing something like Bitcoin, because it has the attributes that will allow it to be a store of value in the future. Now, a couple other things on top I mean, of that. I'm in pain because you have to use that phrase, John. <laughs> I know, I, I know. I do, I do want to educate you, John. I, I'm triggering you, you right said, now, Gene. I, I want to be able to correct you, John. Yes, I'm, I'm, looking, you, I'm looking forward to it. Give me one more second. Sure. So, sure. so one other just, you know, one, one other thing is that if... There's two two more things, then I'll let you I'll give it back to you. Okay, One is, things. 
is if money is not a store of value, then what value are we exchanging? You know, if, if I'm going to buy a house from somebody, if I'm going to buy a, a donut from somebody, if that money doesn't is not storing value, then why would they make that exchange with me? Because obviously what they have, they're, they're valuing to some degree, whether it required their work or resources or whatever. <clears throat> So yeah. does not the money have to contain value in order to be a medium of exchange because what you're exchanging is value. And my final question is <clears throat> how much of the value of a money is derived from the cost to produce it? Because you know what we see today is, you know, and obviously today let's say the cost to produce a Federal Reserve note is 5 cents, but they get to sell it onto the market or use it in the market for a dollar. Right, and this is this is called seniorage, or signorage. But yeah. what and gold, gold is an, a tremendous cost to um, producing it and creating it and bringing it to market. Mm -hmm. So, in your mind, how much of the value of a money is derived from the cost to produce it, rather than its attributes that make it useful or functional in the market? Go okay. for it, Gene. Yeah, yeah, good, good, okay, fine. All right, I'm glad you laid all that out, John, because uh, this is, you know, you and I have agreed about everything, almost everything <laughs> so far, uh, and uh, and and uh, and of course those uh, people who've been intrepid enough to listen uh, to uh, to us uh, talk have, have said, you know, this, they, these guys are just stroking each other. But you know, <laughs> I, I, but by and large, I think, of course, obviously we've been supplementing each other. Hopefully, it's been a useful conversation. But right now, John, now. Now you've just now you've done it. You've gone off the deep end, and, and you're a brilliant guy. So I, I I need to correct you. Okay, listen carefully. Number one, um, the first point to bear in mind is that what is when Satoshi brought out Bitcoin, he was fully aware of the fact that others had been there before him. Uh, uh, I don't even, he might have been familiar with, uh, with with Friedrich Hayek's book, The Denationalization of Money. Friedrich Hayek wanted to private money and mm -hmm. when uh, and he said it could develop and then when he wrote this book Rothbard Murray Rothbard who's also an Austrian uh, he wrote a nice little satire and he said the problem with it is that I could bring out Rothbard's Rothbard's as money but and I could be very honest and not and once people use Rothbard's as money uh, they could trust me not to inflate the money supply because obviously there's a huge temptation to do that because after all their money you know so I just have to print it that's what government does that's that's why that's why governments of course wax and wane with printing uh, that's why of course something they, they more you know they have, the, the mainstream has learned its lesson a little bit you know you can't inflate the money supply too much because if you do then 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 the money becomes worthless which of course happened in the 1920s in in Weimar Germany so but then but then but then uh, Satoshi came along and what he then uh, his big breakthrough was, of course, the very point about scarcity. Money has to be scarce. And the reason, getting to your cost issue, there is no direct <clears throat> relationship between cost and value, but the cost of mining gold, uh, the relatively high cost of mining gold, um, assured us that it was very difficult to debase the current, the, the, the gold. It was very, it's, it's, the, the amount of, go of gold mining in the world that can be done can only increase the gold supply by about one or two percent a year, maybe three percent, no more than that. And so, and by the way, if there were, let's say there were a technological breakthrough and the cost of mining gold plummeted by 99 percent, 
then that might be a problem. Because, by the way, there's more gold in the, in the ocean, I've been told, than there is gold already been mined. So if we can mine it from the ocean at no cost, imagine some kind of technological breakthrough, then gold is no longer going to be, be money. Right. That, that was the problem in the market. You had to have something. It had to have the attribute of scarcity. And so the cost of mining it made it scarce. So that's where the cost goes in. Cost does not drive value, but but cost, cost, high cost can determine scarcity. Now, obviously, Satoshi's uh, uh, breakthrough did not have anything directly to do with cost. It had to do with the 21 million ounces, the locked box, the fact that there could never be any more than 21 million ounces of um, ounces, I'm sorry, 21 million units of Bitcoin uh, out there. So that was his breakthrough. Now, uh, and so that's where scarcity enters in, unless there is a, unless there is an assurance that that the money is scarce, uh, then we're not going to use it. But, or, uh, we, 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 we won't use it. We won't hold it because we're constantly worried that somebody is going to print a whole lot of it and, and prices will soar and what we're holding is going to plummet in value. So, so therefore, the supply has to be limited. And, and Satoshi made, uh, drew a line in the sand. That's what's valuable about it. Now, getting to your store of value point, again, John, if you want to be one of those lunatics, forgive forgive me for saying that, but <laughs> if you want to be one of those lunatics in a world in which uh, Bitcoin is money, mm-hmm. by the way, in a world in which Bitcoin is money, uh, there will be falling prices, falling wages nominally. So that it is true that if you hold Bitcoin, then let's say that uh, you know that 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 output is increasing by six uh, percent a year, seven percent a year. Then then prices are going to fall by seven percent a year. Bitcoin is going to appreciate by seven percent a year. But but if you want to if you want to hold Bitcoin and and think that that's your way of storing value, fine. But people who who are not lunatics are also going to notice that. Uh, in a functioning market economy, there will invariably be many companies that offer a great deal of stability that borrow money at an interest rate of, let's say, 2% or 3%, that, uh, that issue stock that yields in dividends 2 to 3%, or that issue stock that has very good record of capital gains of 3 or 4%. And so uh, so if you then take your Bitcoin that's going to appreciate by 7%, and then take that Bitcoin and convert it to a bond that on top of that is earning 3%, then you have, in simple mathematics, a 10% annual return rather than a 7% annual return. Now, that is a no-brainer, John. That, that is a no-brainer. Nobody except for a certain lunatic fringe is going to store his, 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 his value only in money when, when, when the low-hanging fruit is out there uh, returning 3% easily enough on top of that 7%. Because then obviously, if, if, if you own, if the Bitcoin is then invested in the, in, in the dividend-yielding stock or the, or the interest-yielding bond and you sell it in 10 years, then you'll convert it back into money. You'll get the complete appreciation of the money supply, uh, the seven percent annual return on the bitcoin plus the three percent compounded is going to make you far richer than john Vallis, who thought that this was the best way to keep his money in bitcoin
Bitcoin. So I'm only trying to point out that we can that that the store of value statement is just infantile in, in an advanced industrial economy. Now, then you ask the question, um, why will money have any value? It gets back to what I said about the simplicity of people. The only reason, the only reason, what does the dollar have? The dollar costs practically nothing to manufacture. It's more expensive to put out Bitcoin. So does it have what? What the heck? The the uh, it's basically on computer. The dollars we basically buy things with our credit cards on computer. But of course, to the extent that we have uh, the uh, paper money that we use, uh, uh, then uh, it's it's obviously very cheap to manufacture. The reason why it has value, uh, and why of obviously it could lose all value if if inflation goes into double digits or triple digits, it's simply that, as I said. Yesterday, we are all simple people. Yesterday, it could buy something. It had value yesterday. We know from visceral experience that that it bought a lot of things yesterday. You get a thousand bucks, you get a hundred bucks. You have a general idea in your mind of what it could buy, not because you're some seer, not because you're some brilliant Satoshi-like forecaster or some or another version of John Vall. It's because of what it could buy yesterday and what it could buy the day before. What it could buy. It, it regresses back in time. And Bitcoin, you you have to start it going, and and as Mises said, it originates in a commodity. Bitcoin, probably you could say it originated in perception, it originated in the dollar. It's already being used as a medium of exchange, and as the conversion happens, but some we've kickstarted it. It's already buying things yesterday. It's already buying things the day before, and so it's all all value is subjective. That value is not based on cost. It's all subjective, and money gets going because of what it could buy yesterday. That's the only value it has as a medium of exchange. Now, I'm not denying that John Vallis could start his John Vallis fund and say, hey, look, we don't buy stocks and bonds. You know, that, that's for capitalists. What we do is we store, our, we store our value in Bitcoin and that appreciates by 7% a year. Uh, so that's fine. That could exist. I would say it's going to become very unpopular once the Gene Epstein fund starts up and offers a 10% return compounded on top of Bitcoin. You're not going to be able to compete, John. But if you want the John Vallis lame brain store of value. I'm sorry, John. <laughs> you get my point, so I'll shut up now. I Hopefully, I think I've touched your point, all your points, John. I'm, I'm only saying the store of value fetish is just silly. We are now, you know, you know what it, in this, you know what this arises from, John? Too many, too many Bitcoin uh, people, I was about to use another word, but they've read those dumb money and banking textbooks. And the money and banking textbooks were written by these uh, these sort of lame brain macro, you know, mainstream economists who like to elaborate on all the purposes of money, store of value, all that bullshit. So that's, they got that on the brain. And then very possibly, they think that the word speculation is, is a pejorative. They think it's not respectable to speculate. Well, well, obviously it is. Speculators in land, speculators in wheat, and, and uh, speculators in gold, and in, in, in crude oil, all of those people serve a very important role. And similarly, speculators in Bitcoin serve an important role as well. So it's a very respectable thing to speculate in Bitcoin being the future money of the future medium of exchange. And that's what 
it's all about right now. I recommend speculating in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so, so, John, it, are you willing to admit that that I'm right and you've made a couple of errors? I'm not convinced, Gene. I'm not convinced. Not so okay. let, let, let me respond. Let, let's put this to Oxford style vote with you on this. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, John. And, and also, I'll stand up for Bitcoiners. I think they are the I'll, sum I'll of that. I know, yeah, I know, but they're they're very much on the store of value side of I this know, debate. I know, I know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're very much on it. Yeah, so of what I said. I, I'm going to it's apologize to them on your behalf, Gene, on for using behalf. such pejoratives and just tell them that I think John, they're, they're I, right I only, on with their John, assessment of I, I, store of value. I only, I only insulted you, John. Well, I, I forgive you for that too, Gene. We but all, I didn't we, insult we, the Bitcoin. We, we, all, we all know that such things uh, indicate weakness of argument, if anything. I, I only said, oh, oh thank you. Fair, enough. Fair enough. That's a low blow, but a, but a justified one. The, the point, the, my, my point is only that they probably have read too many uh, money and banking textbooks, and they probably don't respect the word speculation. It's, I guess, it's an ugly word in this society. They are speculators. And, spe and speculation, as I said, is a, they are very honorable what they're doing. I think we should all speculate in Bitcoin. Not necessarily, not, of course, with all your money, because timing on, on, spe on speculation speculating in Bitcoin is almost an impossible thing. I put it at 10 to 15 years from now. Could happen sooner, could happen later. Mm -hmm. But so therefore, that's some of it. So I've endorsed Bitcoin completely. I'm, I just, know. I'm just using Austrian words. Yeah, that's all. And, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this as well. But a lot of people in the Bitcoin community are very much fans and, and students of the Austrian school. And I would say well, that Bitcoiners are don't see speculation as a bad thing whatsoever. In fact, they're very much understanding of the phase that we're in and very John, much want to benefit from the speculation John, on Bitcoin. But John, John, let me, John let, me, let me ask you one question. Though. All right, let me just, all right. Let, then you, let me then just, I'm going to respond. Let me just narrow, corner you and, and ask John. Yeah, are sure. you really saying, as I've said, by the way, an interesting thing about Bitcoin is that is that uh, an objection? I did have a debate on Bitcoin between George Selgin, very smart uh, free market economist, and Safadian Amus. I had another one between Eric Voorhees and uh, and um, um, and uh, Peter Schiff. And uh, and uh, uh, then my, that earlier one has gotten over six hundred thousand views. Uh, and uh, the uh, Peter Schiff talked about gold having intrinsic value. Nothing has intrinsic value. But but, uh, but 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 uh, but uh, um, George. Selgin's problem was that was that uh, labor wages are going to fall in nominal terms. Uh, so, and I think that the, I think he's just hung up. Uh, uh, everything, uh, prices and wages are going to fall in nominal terms. Therefore, it is true that that in my, if you go with my scenario, that output is going to increase about by about seven percent a year. Then, approximately, Bitcoin is going to be set be worth seven percent more. But I, but my narrow question to you, John, is that I call you up. I'm a broker, and I say. I've got two funds. One of them, you just do store of value, quote unquote, in Bitcoin. The other one is that I can put your Bitcoin into a whole basket. I can put them into the latter day S&P 500, or I can put your, your money into very safe bonds that pay 3% on top of that. And that, and that if you want to, if you want to, you want me to give your money back in 10 years, on the one hand, you can make 10% compounded for 10 years. If you take, put the Bitcoin into stocks, the very safe stocks, the very safe bonds uh, that have virtually no chance of default, or if there is some default, it will still mean the return will be close to 3% a year. So that will be 10% because, or 7% if it's just a Bitcoin fund. Which one would you choose, John? 
That's the question, John. Answer it. That is a question. And that would well, well, answer my question, John. I will, I will answer your question, okay. Gene. But that would very much depend on my circumstances and what I was looking for. But if I was to respond, Gene, and say, I don't want to play the markets. I don't want to take on that risk. All I want to do is work my daily job, and then whatever excess I have, I want to squirrel it away so in 10 years I can do whatever the hell I want with it. But I don't trust any company. I don't trust any government. I just want to make sure that my money is there for me when I get older. John, you've loaded this up with a whole lot of crazy assumptions. In the world in which Bitcoin grows by 7% a year, John, reliably, more or less reliably. By the way, there's always a risk there. We don't know how much it's going to appreciate by. I'm John, Right. So we got to measure the risk John, between John, these John, things. John, John, in a word. Yeah, fine. John, Gene. Again, John, John, in the Gene. Way, John, what you don't get is that obviously the, the other part of it is obviously the, the, the those who market bonds, are, are the, the healthy part of it, by the way, is that those people who want to put their money in a mattress are going to be able to compete. The only way for capitalists to get investment is to offer a, a very attractive risk adjusted return. And, all, and again, you've loaded it up with government. Government would be by and large abolished, John, because this is a world of Bitcoin. I agree. So we're not, okay, okay. So what? All I'm but trying you, to say, John, is that the vast majority of people will understand that this has a track record. These are very safe companies. They've been around for years. The, the chances of one of them defaulting is remote. If one does, the the other 92, because we've diversified for you. If you're a very risk averse person, it's going to be such that that they that they're selling bonds or 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 you're putting it in some kind of secure bank. The vast majority of people are going to know. That that institutions are going to have to offer very credible risk-adjusted returns. And so if, if, if everyone is going to say that these are way too risky, then they're just going to up the interest rate that they're going to offer. That, that's, what, that's what they're going to do. The point is that if you respect a free market, then you understand that there are many institutions that, can, that will have a huge incentive to offer uh, attractive risk-adjusted returns. And if John Vallis, who I guess has got, has got is so risk Averse, that he wants to put it in a mattress. I respect you, John. I'm only trying to point out that it's unrealistic when you look at the world in which there are a whole lot of people who who who, who will incur some risk. Uh, but and then again, on top of that, there are a whole lot of people who will recognize who are very conservative, but who will respect institutions that can offer them decent risk-adjusted returns. Capitalism will function. You are almost assuming, John, that nobody's going to invest in anything because. But obviously, people will. Invest Invest. But by the way, there's another complication. People ask me uh, if prices and if prices are falling, then how are capitalists ever going to ever going to invest at all? Well, capitalists will invest because they 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 invest the spreads. Factors of production will be bought at a discount to to price expectations. That they, we will have a. You are almost positing, John, a, a capitalism that isn't even going to function because every nobody will want to invest. Obviously, a vast number of people will want to invest. What we will offer on them to them is the huge, huge assortment of very safe investments that will offer a rate in turn and, 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 and those that are riskier that will offer a much higher rate of return. Right. That's all. So, you know, so, yeah. but I think, so what I would respond in that and say, no, capitalism yeah. will still function. Now in a, in a sound money system, we may, we may be a little bit more um, conservative with how we invest money. And I think we see in the markets today with all this loose and free money, we see maybe a lot of irresponsible investing. But what That's I would, what I would say yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. sure, I'll take 
50% of my capital, 60, 70, 80, oh. whatever it is, and put it in more, you know, more risky investments all along the spectrum. But maybe I want to take 10 or 20 or 30 and keep it in the, the thing that I think is most risk-free way of preserving my capital, right? Okay. And so maybe, so it's, 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 it's not a one or the other. We're operating on a spectrum here. And so what I would so let, let okay. me, let me respond okay. to a couple of your points here. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, the first, going way back right now, we were talking yeah. about, I asked the, you know, what, what's the relationship between the cost to produce the money and its value? And you said there's no direct relation between the two, to which I would agree. But I would say that the cost to produce it determines its scarcity, as you said, with gold Precisely. or with Bitcoin yeah, yeah. or anything. Right, 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 right. And its level of scarcity, its degree of scarcity, uh, because scarcity is obviously on a spectrum, yeah. represented <laughs> in the popularized uh, stock-to-flow model. But mm -hmm. that scarcity is valued in the market for money. So I'm going to value a, a, a money that is more scarce, that has a higher mm -hmm. stock-to-flow mm -hmm. than one that is mm -hmm. less scarce, U.S. dollar versus gold, gold versus Bitcoin, whatever. Precisely. So yeah, in, no, it, that's why Bitcoin has an advantage. As, right. As right. So, so, so okay. in that way, the cost is is definitely relevant to how it becomes valued in the market. Because I, hope I take it you're underscoring my point, John. You're saying the cost, the, the, the high, the higher cost. The, but although I should interrupt and only say that that Satoshi sort of finessed it. The 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 the, the cost of mining Bitcoin is one thing. Uh, however, the debt, the, the 21 million ounce limit is is is, is something different, not d directly related to cost. And so that's part of it as well. But scare, but indeed. Cost. You're only elaborating on my point about the relationship between cost and scarcity. But 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 go ahead. Yeah, right. But I, I'm, yeah. So I'm just saying that's that's yeah. my initial point about yeah, yeah. why people value money based on its attributes. The scarcity being one of those attributes as a result of value and the scarcity derived from the cost. That's all I'm, I'm clarifying well, here. Well, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. So yeah. the other thing I think that yeah. might be going on. And I, I'm sure you'll disagree with this, so give me a okay. second to get it out. But it's, it may Sorry. be it may be semantic, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm I'm seeing two things here. Yeah. I want a risk-free way of storing my my value, and yeah. then I want ways in which I can uh, derive yield or invest my money and you know be richer as a result of it. So yeah. I want those two things. Maybe you're saying that's not possible purely, or maybe you're saying you know that that is best done via just less risky products on the spectrum. I'm saying in an yeah. ideal world, yeah. the, the, the you know, I want something that's going to be a risk-free way of preserving capital, another one of growing my capital. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, free, and, okay. And, and store of value to me is about, uh, you know, confidence. How, and it goes back to risk, how confident am I that this thing is not going to go away, it's not going to go down, it's not going to, you know, I'm, that's what it's all about. And that's why people are so, uh, you know, adamant and, and, uh, and highly regard Bitcoin's scarcity, both derived oh, from, yeah. it, from yeah. its technical yeah. cap on 21 million and because of the cost to, to, uh, to produce it. Because it gives them the confidence that the value won't be eroded. They're not looking for mm -hmm. yield outside of the speculative oh. phase. Well. Right now they are. Right now they are. Sorry. But what their expectation of the future is, is that that won't be, you know, 
people will, people are trying to get rich on Bitcoin right now because they think they're early in seeing the emergence of a new paradigm shifting money on the world, right? And so if they're correct, and if in 20 years Bitcoin is the global standard, then that, that speculative uh, investment would have been correct. They'll they'll make money because the price is going to adjust higher to accommodate all the, the new demand that's going to come in the next 20 years. But I've never met a Bitcoiner who thinks that in 20 years or in in a, a world in which Bitcoin is the standard, that it will be a good investment to grow your wealth. Oh, yeah. At okay. that time, it will yeah. be a means of preserving the, the wealth that you have and then mm -hmm. obviously using it as a form of exchange when you want goods and services in a market. So mm -hmm. that that's mm -hmm. that's in all my discussions with Bitcoiners and my own feelings on it is that at that time the speculative component of it will be over you'll have made or lost your money as a result of doing so and it will simply be money and money yeah. will be used to as a medium of exchange a unit of account and a store of value because okay. if you're well, not exchanging value right the money has to contain value and as you say value is subjective and all the things we've already discussed go into valuing it in a subjective manner its cost its attributes etc having to do with the regression theorem john see that i think the only, okay I'm no, i get sorry. i get I'm the regression theorem i get the regression that's, theorem that's that's key that that's key it's key the, the, the main the main thing the main thing that of course that you and i have to recognize is that probably it's unfortunate the average iq of the bitcoiner community is probably Way above average, and the point is, stupid people like me have have uh, have got to try to explain why we use money. We use it because of the regression theorem, because because it's just the simple visceral fact that it could buy something yesterday, that, and that's keyed keyed on to key to the understanding about how it's going to be accepted universally by ordinary people with low IQs. Uh, but but that regresses back to its original creation, right? The regression theorem, the the the, the cost of originally creating. We, let's go all the way back and and that's since right. it was that's seashells, right. but, whatever. But but, but but that's right. But 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 the point is that it. But but the but the average person who uses who used gold or used uses dollars or will use Bitcoin is not necessarily going to be an historical scholar. Sure. The only thing he knows is that is that yesterday it could buy things. That's all I'm saying. But I, I want I want to speak to your point. First of all, you you and I. I uh, have uh, again when you mentioned semantics. I, I just think it's unfortunate that we have to use the term store of value. But I, uh, but but in a way in in a way we're having a semantic argument. Uh, the, certainly the distrust. I think the other thing why reason why you use store of value is because the distrust of fiat currencies is a very healthy one. And obviously uh, you it's, you you got to be a little bit silly if you're going to store value in fiat currencies. Uh, uh, but but certainly. Certainly, in the world in which you that you and I are describing, uh, Bitcoin will appreciate in value. So, in that sense, you could say it's a store of value. So, I'm giving ground there, John. But I, I only want to make one. I only want to make, make one point about the for the the the, the hyper competitiveness and the hyper entrepreneurship of the financial institutions. Uh, I'm only trying to tell you that uh, for that that in particular uh, there will be. First of all, a very healthy competition. That's why we're, we're the seven percent appreciation that I'm saying Bitcoin. You know, obviously that's a generality. That that's just in relation to output and won't be seven percent a year, but it will appreciate in value if you just hold it. I think it's healthy because it will force financial institutions to be able to to offer interest returns to the risk averse uh, that will give them a tangible advantage, and they will have to compete for that. 
just bear in mind, John, that 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 don't underestimate the uh, the uh, the entrepreneurship of, of finance. What will happen is that John Vallis is going to get a call uh, from an institution that's going to say, we can we 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 put our money in um, in short-term instruments, uh, well, in commercial paper. Uh, commercial paper that is diversified to the the, the, the the hundred most stable companies in the world and and they, and they have a sort of a one percent default rate every year and so so the, so let's shave one percent off the average return on that commercial paper and and what we can offer you is a liquid account liquid account because anytime you want the money we can very quickly convert it because this is this is like 30 day commercial paper a 60 day commercial paper that we're invested in and again John don't bring government in because bitcoin is ruling government government if it's a minarchist state or an anarchist government is out of the money business and so we have relative stability and so we can offer you a a a rate of return over and above your bitcoin and this will prove to be very advantageous to you because it'll be of a highly liquid account. All I'm trying to say so is I'll that I'll do that for are... some. I'll do that for some. Okay. For okay. Sure. Okay. Okay. All right. Where, where again, we're not keeping score, and I appreciate your intelligent responses, John. I'm sorry. Sorry <laughs> if I've insulted you in any way. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 the Bitcoin community, I think you're great. But but uh, but but the point is that you have you have said, hey, look, seventy percent invested, thirty percent, and then you say, okay. You're saying, look, you'll keep a little bit in the mattress. Probably, I'll give ground and say, look, the mattress argument, that's that's what I disdainfully call the store of value. There will be, I like the mattress effect of Bitcoin because it will mean that. It will be empower the consumer of, of, of financial products. It will mean that, look, if you don't give me a decent enough uh, risk, uh, risk, very low risk rate of return in this commercial paper, I'm just going to keep it in the mattress. I'm going to keep it in the safety deposit box. I'm going to keep it in my computer because that's Bitcoin. So that's that's very valuable. But I'm I'm only but but but, but given that your, your percentage split, John, has now been diminishing. I think you you've at least recognized that you probably will store value. You may even store a fair amount of value in this commercial paper. Therefore, I would prefer to say that that is really just uh, uh, what the one thing we did not talk about, which is that which is that as the Austrians have pointed out, by and large, people do not want to hold money. That's actually their negative statement. You you don't really want to hold money uh, because money doesn't give you any return. Now, of course, it would give you a return to somebody. It gives you less of a return than you could get if you had it in commercial paper. So why do we do we hold money only because of uncertainty? Because as, as, as Rothbard in particular pointed out, if you could imagine a world in which you can predict your transactions 100% exactly, that's of course what they argue, but if you of course, well, at least with dollars that depreciate, that, that if you could predict your transactions by 100%, then, then you, would, you might well want to keep it in very low risk commercial paper. And you say, well, the moment it expires on that hour, then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna make this purchase and that purchase, there would be a tendency not to hold any money at all if we didn't live in a world of uncertainty. So I, I do think that that, that that series of insights uh, for about the nature of money, which so goes against uh, the mainstream. So in, I mean, the, the mainstream is so dumb. The mainstream is so dumb that, that if a kid, if, a, if you're reading a textbook, you might ask yourself, 
There, the, the, now is the chapter on money. And what is the chapter of money beginning with? It's beginning with the Federal Reserve, the central bank. And that, that these people are so out of it that, 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 that they begin with a government institution as our key insight into the nature of money. And they work backwards from there. I mean, that's just crazy. Uh, uh, but, but obviously, the Austrians, uh, and, and, and I like the point, that, the, the point that George Selgin made about the mainstream is that when, when, they, when they argue against tariffs, they have in their mind w what free trade is all about. But they are so intellectually impoverished that when they talk about money, they have a, a clue about what a free market and money would be all about. They actually have been imprinted, uh, they have been indoctrinated in the idea that the central bank is all is is what determines money. That that kind of mor moronic lunacy. But my point is that uh, that that the uncertainty principle of money and the and the, and the and the demand for money to hold money balances, I think, is also a key insight. But to sum up, John, you and I are not that far apart in what you in, in what we finally have said, because I think that you have said that the John Vallis portfolio would mostly be in a little bit of commercial paper and in, in a fair amount of uh, stocks and bonds. You might invest in a startup in this world, but you'll keep a little bit, I'll use your term, a store of value in Bitcoin, a little bit of that. The mattress effect will still be true. And, I'm, and I'll basically concede that point. I think the mattress effect, as I prefer to call it, is that it would be a healthy influence on the market. And I will say no more. You, you should have the last word, John. It's your show. Well, I think that's a perfect <laughs> perfect summation of that, yeah. particular, uh, that particular point in this discussion. Yeah. And I would just add that, you know, 35-year-old John Vallis would probably put a little bit more in your high risk, you know, all those things. And maybe oh, yeah. 70 year old John Vallis would have a different approach. So this is, the, this, this is the so economic management, right? And financial yeah, 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 that's management. Right. That's right. Um, yeah. So two more, uh, two more things, Gene, sure. uh, cause I think we've maybe exhausted this one. Uh, but I, 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 I appreciate, no, you appreciate your comments. How many people are going mean, nah, to, Gene, they're, they're used to hearing me for Two hours plus. So. Well, I, well, obviously they can just sort of come back. They can listen. They can take take well, it in course, ten minute doses, course. people, because this has been we we've solved almost all the intellectual problems <laughs> of the economy. And so now John is going to have me solve the final two. Yes, so yes, ahead. and I will agree with you that uh, I I think it's absolutely insane that from middle school all the way up to university you can learn economics in all of its different permutations and never once discuss the money. The the, yeah. the actual unit that all of this is transpiring in it's insane. Okay, yeah. two two more questions, Gene. So this is directly regarding Bitcoin. We've talked sure. about um, the way that the market values scarcity. We understand the relationship between scarcity and and money. We look at gold. We look at fiat currencies. We look at Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You mentioned cryptocurrencies. Obviously, there's over three thousand different cryptocurrencies today. Yeah. Um, you said that likely we will have you know a prime money or a single standard and everything else will likely overwhelmingly right. likely unless unless the world is insane we we, we all want to hold we want to use it as a medium of exchange but go ahead yeah, right yeah, which, yeah. which i totally agree with you on yeah, yeah. my question is this and this is something yeah. that i think might uh, might help people that aren't super well digital digital scarcity is a new thing for all of us so we, we still need to wrap our heads around this in the context of there's you could have an exact bitcoin clone right the same yeah. technical scarcity the same yeah. su supply cap what is it that upholds bitcoin scarcity and what is the if we decide to move to another coin at any point in the mm. future do we totally unwind that 
that um, ability to establish a scarcity that ultimately, in my opinion, and this is, you know, I'd like to get your comment on this, mm -hmm. is established mm -hmm. socially, not technologically. Mm. Wow. Okay. Uh, the, 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 here's, a, the, here's a question that um, even I might have to duck. Uh, I, when, I, when I heard that debated between uh, uh, Eric Voorhees and, uh, uh, and Peter Schiff, uh, the, the the I mean, Voorhees was just making the point that there really are no clones to Bitcoin, and that and that it's like uh, that there's the difficulty of of fraud of of branding, uh, and uh, I guess in a way I'm probably I'm I'm not being very articulate at all with my answer. Uh, uh, I uh, I bow to you, John. You probably have an answer to that question. You're saying that 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 there's no. You're saying the argument would be at its extreme that the idea that there was a Bitcoin with 21 million units limited is 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 open to attack because somebody else can come along and say i've got i call this bitcoin as well well uh you know the the the, the i do at least believe in the law of uh, against fraud that that is fraudulent to call uh your currency bitcoin if uh since uh, that uh that, that's not really bitcoin into then you could bring a legal case so that would be a matter of law uh as far as I can understand it, for sure. But beyond that, uh, I mean, uh, um, Eric was just uh, Eric Voorhees was just responding by saying that yeah, we've got all these cryptocurrencies, but but you might as well just say that silver is a substitute for gold. Uh, and so that's my lame response. You must have a response. I'd love to hear from you about that, John, about that problem. Sure. You know, what, what you, sure. Yeah. Well, my opinion, yeah. my yeah. my take on it currently yeah. is this, yeah. and that is that first of all. Many of those clones exist. You know, people. Yeah. You just change one single attribute, and and yeah. not that you know these things will be operating anonymously or in different jurisdictions. So you know, the legal case is, is you can't really pursue. But in no. any, in any case, you could just change a couple of small details. You could say my coin is going to be called, you know, uh, Pitcoin with a P, and it's going to have 20 million coins instead of 21 million, and that's better because okay. ultimately it's more scarce. And so the okay. qu the question is, do well, sure, yeah, is, that's fine. Is is what maintains bitcoin scarcity and yes you could say oh. the network effect it was established earlier and and you know it's had the the chance oh, for oh, network oh, yeah. effects to yeah. unfold yeah. you could yeah. also say in that the what we were talking about earlier about earlier about the relationship between cost and and uh, and scarcity and the value attributed to something as a result of that is a factor but what i you know what i think a lot of bitcoiners realize is that digital scarcity may be just a genie that came out of the bottle or sorry it's a it's a genie in a bottle and if we ever let it out we ruin it for example if we decide we yeah. if we yeah, decide yeah. that there's another coin couple little tweaks you know it's better it's got more bells and whistles it's whatever if we all decide to move over to that one then we've kind of done away with the idea of digital scarcity because then it's digital abundance we can always oh, just oh, move oh. to another one yeah, Bit yeah. bitcoin's technical attributes per uh, permit us to uphold a, a scarcity it doesn't it's not scarce on its own or at least oh. that, that scarcity isn't relevant the reason why it's relevant is because we all agree as people that use Bitcoin, but more importantly, people that host nodes on the network that verify that a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin, collectively say 
this is the one this is the 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 one true bitcoin let's say and we are going to uphold this attribute of it because we realize the value of this attribute and i'm referring to the scarcity oh, oh, so if anybody oh, were oh. to ever try to change that let's let's make it 200 million coins instead of 21 million coins or let's move over to another coin that this socially upheld scarcity is the is the real important linchpin here oh, in wow. my opinion because it's oh. not only technically derived oh i see which okay. is which is so, which is no, yeah, no, which is a bit yeah. squirrely for people right because that's uh, that's yeah, not the just... case with with gold gold yeah you can't you don't decide gold scarcity it's in the ground in certain amounts the market demands how much is being pulled out on a, uh, at any given point in time right but that that's what it is and maybe there's more in the ocean maybe there's more in asteroids but it it it's scarcity is not dependent is not socially dependent it is you know that the scarcity is what it is whereas oh, wow. okay john yeah i, so, I don't know okay yeah do you want to finish your point okay. well, yeah the I mean, final I, I, the think, fi I think i've got your point john i mean i, I mean this is important it's important for me to respond because I, I do disagree with what you said even though i'm a bitcoin enthusiast i i do disagree but you want you, you want to make a final point well final point? I, the, the, and and i don't think i've articulated this perfectly but my yeah. final point is just that yeah. you know with with so many coins available and with this idea of digital scarcity the technology because the technology can be replicated so easily what's really important is that we is the social component of the scarcity and i guess what i'm introducing is the social component of scarcity and i know that does that's might even sound like an oxymoron or contradictory yeah. well no but no. but but this is you know the 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 scarcity element or attribute of bitcoin is in its technological design in combination with its how it's upheld socially, which is obviously different from something like gold that we that we use to sound money or hard money in the past, because its scarcity was you know a a, a truth of of the universe. Let's say we it's, it didn't didn't matter what we did with it; it had a certain amount in the on the in the earth or in the universe. Okay, let me speak to your point, John. I, I I think it's an admirable statement you've made, but I I, I do disagree. I and and I I think that my own vision is just as hopeful uh, as yours. But uh, even though I disagree, I, I mean I, I with this maybe start this way. Uh, the the uh, there it is very possible that Bitcoin, uh, if Bitcoin becomes money, uh, then again you seem to be granting my point that if if fiat currency becomes unstable, uh, if dollar becomes unstable, uh, and if uh, and if the uh, the renminbi of China becomes unstable, then uh, there will be on the part of us low IQ people, uh, we will start to see the advantage of something that doesn't uh, lose its purchasing power. And uh, and really, the loss of purchasing power is the reason why people vote for a currency or the gain in purchasing power, the stability of purchasing power, which, of course, arises from scarcity. What I'm trying to say, though, is that the vast majority of people who use money don't understand the insight of scarcity and they don't understand, <clears throat> if, uh, of course, beyond that, why it's scarce. They only know that it's stable. They only know that that uh, that 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 what it could buy last year is more or less what it could buy this year. Or indeed, in the case of Bitcoin, that it can, can even buy more. So purchasing power is really what motivates people to use money. Uh, and then, uh, so therefore, and uh, of course, the network effect the, the, uh, uh, of money, which is that naturally 
uh, anybody uh, is going to want to use the most popular money. And then, of course, the most popular money will be advertised. Look at all you can buy with it. This is what you want to hold. That competition will happen among cryptocurrencies. And my impression is that Bitcoin will win out. But maybe somebody who knows better than I is going to say that Bitcoin will win out. But Bitcoin for the moment, let's say it wins out. Beyond that, uh, then, uh, I think that the uh, the the uh, the social belief in scarcity. This is unfortunately limited to the high IQ enthusiasts for Bitcoin. But uh, but but what you mentioned in passing uh, is really what I have to stress. What you mentioned in passing, which is the inertia of a network effect, the stability of a network effect, is really what will rule. By analogy, by the way, right now there's a powerful net network effect with the dollar. The, the, the alternatives now are just not attractive. Bitcoin is not attractive enough in world markets. And so 90% of the transactions uh, in the world market are not in your own. 90% of the transactions, the dollar is on the other side. The dollar is indeed the, the, the short pencil network effect currency of the world. And, and it's very difficult uh, situation to to uh, to to uh, to turn around because because network effects tend to be stable. There tends to be a lot of inertia. If a couple of people try to use to introduce another currency as a store of value, that most people are comfortable using this one. Other people use it. So the so the snowball of the network effect. I'm trying for a different metaphor. Is very powerful. On the other hand, what will happen, however? is that uh, if Bitcoin becomes money, uh, then it will be very surprising if it doesn't remain money for years to come because of the power of the network effect. However, if, uh, if Bitcoin comes along and if Bitcoin is even better, then I could imagine Bitcoin being money for 50 years, for a century, uh, for 30 years, because of the power of the network effect, but then the attractions of Bitcoin will be so great that it will eventually unseat Bitcoin. And so I'm not disturbed by that at all. I, I, all I'm saying is that, that we're dealing with just the likelihoods of human behavior. Uh, and the likelihood of human behavior is that once you start using a particular currency, which ha is stable, you get in the habit of using it. And then, and then, again, I'm trying for a metaphor about the power of that chain, that everybody likes it. So there's this network and mob effect. Uh, that's very difficult to unsee. So sure. I'm not disturbed by your point, sure. uh, by, by, by the idea of a Bitcoin. Uh, pr probably, probably, uh, if you and I at least understand innovation and the future, then maybe, uh, you know, the 22nd century, there will be a Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I should mention, I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused about what you said about gold, because again, the, the hard, the, 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 the use of gold on the part of the hard money fanatics who store it and, and, uh, and all the rest of it is really based upon the idea of its stable stability of purchasing power. Hour. That that was the whole point. There was indeed uh, the the in in the 19th century, basically prices rose a little bit during wars. But but by and large, the power of the use of gold at that in that century was such that prices were stable. Prices should have fallen, by the way. So because there obviously was a lot of government meddling, but there was stability, and that's all people want is stability. That I mean, they, 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 obviously they like appreciation on top of that, uh, uh, but. But certainly, uh, stability is important. So, um, but but when I mentioned 
that that gold was obviously uh, at that stage of development the best kind of money, and Bitcoin is better. It's because uh, it, 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 uh, there are there, there are of course so many gold people like of course Peter Schiff who still believe that gold is better than Bitcoin. Uh, but uh, but I, but certainly when I ask them what if there's a technological breakthrough and it suddenly costs practically nothing if you go with my invention to draw gold out of out of the sea. Then, then the temptation to do so, if you and I had a machine that could draw, we, we set up something by the seashore and we're drawing gold out of it, and gold is at $2,000 an ounce, and it costs us, it costs us like a penny to, to mine an ounce, we're going to go nuts. Right. So the gold, gold will no longer be money. And, and so, so gold is, but gold will no longer be money, not because people will necessarily know that the supply is increasing, they will just see that it's, that it's falling in value, right. and that it's purchasing power. I was gone. But but going back to the point, I'm I'm betting on the stability. Of, I, I I I cannot bet on your idea that there are enough people who have some some sort of social cohesion. That's that, not my that, idea, though. That's something. Let I'm, me clear. Let me sorry, clarify that sorry, one point. Sorry. When I when I talk about yeah. the, the the social aspect of upholding yeah. Bitcoin scarcity, I'm talking about the nodes on the network which uphold the consensus rules by which Bitcoin is governed. So okay, the, yes. the, the, oh, no, oh, okay. the nodes on the Bitcoin network are the yeah. ones that's of, of which there's tens, if not hundreds of thousands all around the world. They, yeah. they keep a copy of the entire ledger from, from yeah. the beginning. And they have all these little rules, these, these consensus yeah. rules that say, if something basically comes across my desk and it meets this criteria, it's Bitcoin. If something comes across my desk and it doesn't meet this criteria or these follow these rules, it's not Bitcoin and I reject it. When I say that, that, that Bitcoin scarcity is partially socially upheld, I'm referring to the nodes on the network who are obviously more informed than your average individual who's just transacting oh, in the money because other people transact in the money. Okay, John, the, the, only, the, only, thing, the only thing that describes me a little bit, which I, which I take maybe you're not really intending to say, is that I would not want to think that 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 this requires some kind of moral priesthood. No, I would no, want to think, no, no, no. I would want to think that there that there are positive, strong incentives to maintain this. No, they're just the natural economic. We don't have to decide on the goodness of people. We just have to, to decide. We just have to bet on their on their obviously hopefully good intentions, not to be criminals, but more importantly, just their regard to their incentives. That there's an incentive effect. Is that what you're also saying with well, respect to these nodes? Well, with respect to the nodes there's no yeah. di there is no direct incentive if you're not a mining node right so miners yeah. are the ones that obviously you know devote the computing power to try to be to put their their uh, ticket in the lottery to try to get the the newly minted coins but as far as these nodes that i'm talking about that are non-mining nodes that simply yeah. uphold the consensus rules of the network and the entire copy of of the ledger there's no direct incentive other than the you know upholding the security of the network, and obviously, if they hold the coins, then that is an that's an incentive. But it's not a direct incentive to say that you get a fee or anything like that for hosting a node. In fact, but, it's a direct cost because you have to pay for the power and the hardware, etc. But presumably, this is the. But it's presumably it's just like you're part of this. This is the business you're in. So if you turn rogue and you do something to undermine it. Then uh, what would happen? Then uh, uh, what, 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 what's the penalty? Can you imagine a rogue uh, uh, person running a node? What, what's the worst case scenario you could imagine? Well, so. well, basically, 
this is what happens when you know new coins yeah. emerge when we when yeah. we get what we call hard forks and it's basically just members of that that network saying i i want to run by different rules i want to change the supply cap i want to change the size of the blocks this sort of thing mm -hmm. and they say so those are the that's what i recognize as as money now and so they mm -hmm. do that and that's why we've had these these hard forks and yeah. so but there's no i mean there's the incentive structure for the nodes is um and I wasn't, you know, when I was saying that they uphold it, you know, their incentive in my mind is that they are holders of the currency and their work, their work helps to keep that secure. But let the, the it keeps the, them in business. They're incentive. They want this is a business. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. well, because node yeah. operators typically aren't in business. They're individuals like myself that will uh -huh. host a node at their home. They'll pay a few hundred dollars for a piece of hardware, whatever energy is required to to host a node. But they don't I receive see. any any reward or any income for that they're basic no. they're basic and i know this runs against you know the 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 uh, moral argument uh, or incentive argument of of austrian economics and that sort of thought well, but well. but what i'm just going to say is that their only real incentive you know is basically to contribute to the security of the network in which they hold some of their capital but the truth okay. is is that in a context context where there's hundreds of thousands of nodes all around the world, my node isn't providing really, you know, any discernible added level of security. It's, you know, because what's the difference between 100,000 and 110,000? Not not mm -hmm. much in practice, but it, it is kind of this thing. And maybe this is a sign of the stage that Bitcoin is in, and maybe it will morph and change, but I'm sure you mm -hmm. know that mm -hmm. there is a lot of zealotry in Bitcoin, and there's a lot of people mm -hmm. that want so badly for this type of money to be used globally and to wrest the power of money creation from the state that they're willing to incur a certain cost in order to uh, support this network. Now, again, they are incentivized mm -hmm. because all of them hold the coin. And so mm -hmm. if the network persists, and it continues going up in value, and it persists as a result of the security that they're adding to it, then they do gain. But it's not a direct incentive as in the traditional sense. Okay, fair enough. No, I, well, I learned a lot. I'd have to put my mind around that. I, I, I guess I just want to try out on you the point that uh, that uh, if 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 we can imagine a world again in which uh, the trust in, in government fiat currency of any kind uh, collapses, and then uh, there is a suddenly enormous interest in in, uh, in cryptocurrencies, which would be of course evinced by a much rising uh, a price of Bitcoin and and other cryptocurrencies in relation to the dollar, in relation to the euro, in relation to the to the renminbi, the Chinese uh, currency. Uh, if that were to happen, then there would indeed be uh, competition uh, to uh, uh, in terms of uh, using which uh, currency would be a medium of exchange. I think that 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 could last a few years, but. But 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 there will be hopefully a perception that once you advertise and once and the advertising will of course be in terms of the stability of your currency and so there will be an incentive then to compete that way and then I think there will be one or two currencies that, that one let's just say one for the, to make it simple that one that will tend to be adopted and where the snowball effect will occur uh, but, but then beyond that uh, I I take it you at least 
see my point that once once a network is in place, it's very difficult to unseat it, and then and there's a there's an incentive to main, to maintain that stability because because of the you know you you're part of that network, you're part of it, but. But uh, there's nothing wrong with with other people coming up with you know your idea of Bitcoin and saying uh, I, I've got another breakthrough I've got something that works even better. Of course, obviously the Bitcoiners could maybe steal that idea. So I'm 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 only saying that I do think that that we can trust the stability of the network effects so that what you were saying is the charge that it's going to be sort of like a chaotic competition and where the money that that every year or so there's going to be something happening to uh, to, to give us the new money. I, I think that's extremely unlikely. And I guess the reason uh, the reason why I'm not disquieted by saying, look, I, nothing is a lead pipe cinch. But then again, what's the alternative? The alternative is government fiat money, which is far messier, far riskier. That gets back to the same point that you and I should make, which is that we're not saying that markets don't fail. We're not saying that markets can ever even hope to operate perfectly. We're only saying that they're vastly better than the alternative, which is government domination. So that, that, that's what I would argue in the final analysis. But I, I, I'm only trying to get you to see that, that, that the power of the network effect will probably make a huge difference in terms of maintaining a stable currency for a while. But I can certainly envision the uh, improvements every century and maybe a new money adopted every century. Absolutely. That's, and yeah, no, yeah, no, no yeah. argument here from yeah, the, the yeah. network effect argument. Very familiar. Yeah. Yeah. with that and you know and the Lindy effect as well and in, in, in establishing it as a hard to unseat sort of sort of currency my, my yeah, yeah. I, I maybe I didn't articulate it well but my point was simply that yeah. in in this new paradigm of, of yeah. the idea of digital scarcity in which you know the technical attributes of any of these things can be copied upgraded changed morph whatever yeah. notwithstanding that the network effect is a very significant moat around the the, yeah. the, er, the the first iteration or the earliest iteration but just that the way that the the nodes and the network operate is that scarcity mm -hmm. is relevant in in this environment not oh, yeah. not because it's absolute because it can be copied right but it's relevant because it's held up as such and it's held up as such by the people mm -hmm. in the network that are doing so and I I, my, my question in yeah. my mind that i still haven't haven't yeah. squared yeah. is that this whole idea of digital scarcity is it impinged or is it infringed or is it weakened if we move that you know, upholding of scarcity around time and time again from one thing to the other, from one chain, from one coin to the other. Does mm -hmm. that diminish it in any way? I don't know. Time will yeah, tell. Who knows? Well, yeah, I mean, although I mean, I, I'd have to, I'd have to bring you to the next level and and point out that when you talk about these things, we're really that's why I'm uh, you know, here. I'm 75 years old. I'm talking about the 20, 22nd, you know, century. I'm I'm jumping ahead 100 years. Where sure. I'm on, I'll be 175 then, John, and, you, <laughs> and you'll be 135, and hopefully we'll still be talking. On the other hand. <laughs> On the other hand, if if uh, if the immortality promise doesn't come through, then then you have to worry about your children and the generations after. And I I mean I'm intrigued by what you say, and I'm I'm only learning from it. Uh, and uh, but uh, but obviously it, it 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 doesn't just mean the current generation of people who run the nodes. It means future generations because because I do think that it would have to last for decades, and so that's part of the issue as well. That's yeah, all. yeah, I agree, and I think you know the 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 lack of in the future, when you know the holding coins is it, it, 
nets smaller returns, let's yeah. say, when we've when it's monetized, it'd be interesting to see how incentives or lack thereof as being a node operator influence people's desire to uh, to be a node operator and incur mm -hmm. that cost and what impact that has on the security of the network. Those are some interesting unanswered questions that we're, we're definitely yeah. going to find out. Uh, I, but, guess, I guess my final statement, my final statement is that you would say, do you have another question? Oh, did you have something else? To say? No, I, I was, I was going to say, Gene, in the interest of not speaking until we're 175 years old, oh. I was going to hit you with my last uh, oh, couple oh, of rapid oh, fires. Oh, but, ahead, but, but go ahead and give me your what, what oh, you're going to no, no, say. No, 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 no. My point is, it's just, it's just, I want to set, I want to set for the the Bitcoin enthusiast. As I said, part of my theme has just been uh, what, what. Think about Bitcoin for the 80 IQ people, for the 90 IQ people. The people who just live day to day, as I say, the visceral, like the visceral fact of purchasing power that that it could buy something yesterday. That's the reality for them. As Safi Dynamics said, you know, some people, uh, some people might prefer physical Bitcoin. I mean, this, the point is, the market will respond to needs, and and a lot of people who have who understand how ordinary people work and the quirks of ordinary people. That's going to be an important element. <laughs> In the development of Bitcoin, uh, but go go ahead. Yeah. So so Gene, this is the very last part, and then we'll shut sure. it down. And yeah. uh, you know, only if you're open to it, of course. But the last oh, no. part that I usually I do. It, I well, it's it's a it's a word oh. association. So I'll oh, I'll stream God. out about 15 words, and you just tell me the first thing that pops into your mind when I wow. say these words. Of course. Okay. The first one is democracy. Democracy. Democracy sucks. Uh, the corporation. Uh. It's what I have to do a statement. Uh, <laughs> the, the you're breaking the rules, Gene. I have it has to be one word, one word. Well, a short one phrase. Word. Go okay. for it. One, tell tell one, me, tell me what one, you want to say. Corporation, one mode of production among many under capitalism. <laughs> yeah. Human rights. Human human rights is is, is certainly uh, properly defined essential to libertarians. Human rights. Choice. Choice, uh, certainly uh, properly defined, essential to the free market. Yeah. Violence. Violence. Uh, hopefully, it will diminish in a market society. It generally does because it enhances cooperation. <laughs> ego. <laughs> ego. Uh, some people. A lot of people do things out of ego. Many people uh, do things just out of love of humankind. Yeah. Consensus, as in agreement amongst parties. Uh, voluntary, voluntary consensus is always good. Politically imposed consensus is bad. Wealth. Uh, uh, material wealth is great. Uh, if you have uh, four grandchildren like I have, you also have a kind of human wealth that that uh, that is deeply satisfying. Privacy. Uh, privacy essential, uh, an essential right on a free market. Yeah. Hate speech. Hate speech is fine. Let's counter it with the, the speech of love. Gold. Gold. <laughs> Gold. Okay. <laughs> Gold. <laughs> As I've said, uh, it's uh, it's relatively scarce because it's expensive to mine, uh, but that could change. Guns. Guns. <laughs> Gun Guns are important uh, to a lot of uh, people. Guns are a great leveler, uh, and uh, that's what they've been. Guns are a great leveler between the people who are weak versus people who are strong, physically. Yeah. Revolution. Revolution, uh, nonviolent re revolution is the best way to go uh, because that, that nonviolent revolution is always possible. 
Socialism. <laughs> Socialism. Okay. Um, it's 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 un, uh, it's unfortunately the way it's conventionally defined. It's unfortunately going to strangle uh, freedom and prosperity. Family. Family is a choice, uh, and uh, and a choice that uh, that many of us are very wise to make. Inequality. Inequality. Uh, uh, I'm completely indifferent uh, to uh, to inequality. Uh, I want uh, I want as many uh, m- many billionaires as possible who've made that billion uh, legitimately on the free market. Hell. H e l l. Hell. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hell. <laughs> Well, uh, hell. Well, unfortunately, there are too many uh, governments make a hell on earth, uh, and to this day, they're continuing to make a hell on earth, and uh, we have to fight that. Liberty. Liberty, uh, freedom, uh, and uh, it, 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 the, the most heartening thing about human history is that the love of liberty seems to increase every century. Energy. Energy. Well, um, uh, we uh, the, the the energy that's currently manifested in fossil fuels is essential to lifting the living standards of the broad masses of people. And last one, Bitcoin. 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 Uh, the, the the a very legitimate hope of the future. If if it can appreciate a thousand times in value, which is very possible, and if there's a a. I, uh, even just a 1% chance that it can appreciate a thousand times in value. That's one chance out of a hundred of a thousand times your money. So it's a very good bet. Gene, this has been a, a very stimulating <laughs> conversation. I, I very much it. appreciate you taking We're, the time on your, on your Saturday morning. But uh, before we go, Gene, is there anywhere you wanted to direct people to your Twitter or the Soho debates oh, or anything like that? Well, well, I, I'd, I'd love people from Newfoundland, and of course, you're probably being listened to all over the world. Uh, go into thesohoforum.org, uh, thesohoforum.org, to access all of the debates we've held, including the one on socialism that I recently did, which has had now over 200,000 views on YouTube, uh, and then come to New York. Uh, if you say the words Tom Woods to me, if you come to New York and you attend our debates, uh, then the free drink at the bar. I will be debating Steve Moore, uh, who has been an advisor of the Trump administration on Trump's tariff policies in February. And uh, we're going to have a debate on robotics in January. Look at our schedule, soulform.org. We've got eight debates scheduled uh, between now and July. So please come. Very interesting. Well, Gene, thank you again for taking the time. This was super yeah. fun. And sure. maybe someday we'll do it again, either another one of these Skype calls or face-to-face sometime. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Uh, yeah, th- thanks so much, Gene. Yeah.